Welcome everyone to the Faded ARPG podcast where we discuss various topics with our friends from the Path of Exile community. Uh, welcome, my co-host, Ballermage. How have you been? Are you done with D4, uh, D3? Right? Well, hello. No one. I'm with it. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm done with that. I'm, I am re-rolled in hardcore. I mean, hey, wait, hardcore I've, PoE? I've been hardcore trained. Oh, nice. Okay, that, that's juicy. We're going to go into that uh, as soon as possible. But first, we're going to get our guests on stage. Welcome, the one and only Atenki. How have you been? I've been good. Busy, but that's because there are way too many games releasing recently, and they're all pretty darn good. Yeah, and, and someone needs to do all that lightning coil double corrupting. <laughs> that went so well. Oh man, I was so surprised. I'm sure we're going to talk about it all, but not before we're joined by another legend on our stage here. Please welcome everyone, never sing the one and only mastermind behind the item filter uh, with the same name and the filter blade page. How have you been, never sing? Uh, thank you. I'm doing great. Uh, enjoyed the league so far and recently, I recently, I mean yesterday, jumped into Cyberpunk for the first time and really enjoying it. Nice. That's great. I'm so excited for Cyberpunk, by the way. I know this is a POE thing, but I'm real excited for Cyberpunk. I'm excited as well. I It's I'm, really good. Yeah. A 2.0 update dropped, and since the expansion is late in the game anyway, I can really recommend it so far. It was really good. Yeah. So wait, wait, they're still bringing out content for Cyberpunk that they released? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Expansion oh. drops on to, um, on Tuesday, and they have uh, dropped the Cyberpunk 2.0 update uh, two days ago, and has completely rewarmed the game. So two years afterwards, I felt like, okay, and maybe it's now time to finally give it a try. Maybe it feels like Witcher. And definitely, I've been mostly shading the main story. It definitely feels really good. But I'm not going to go too much off topic there. Oh, that's fine. I mean, I'm I'm very happy to hear about something else, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of PoE talk that we're going to get into. Um, but yeah, I've never never played Cyberpunk myself. I, I know that like at some point I want to, but there was like a lot of controversy around the game's mm -hmm. launch where people were a little bit unhappy. So uh, I was like, it was you know, same at launch, it's fixed now. <laughs> it's same with the Starfield that that came yeah. out right now, right? Like I'm just like, why should I pay premium for early access now when it's literally an unfinished game and I can just pay less and get more next year? Although with Starfield it's a little bit different because it's in the Game Pass, which you know, yeah, relatively cheap to get access. Now in terms of unreleased from what i heard it was unplayable on console for cyberpunk mm -hmm. i played it on pc honestly even on release i had a pretty good time there were definitely a couple points that weren't quite as crisp or as finished as i would have liked main story was really good though playing through it once was fun and so now it's kind of coming back to something i'm familiar with rather than playing it straight fresh right uh, i'll definitely check it out at some point in the future but I guess we should get into some PoE. And I'm curious to hear from you guys, because I already know what Balor played, although Balor said he switched to HC Trade now, so that's something interesting to hear. But uh, first of all, to catch us all up, please tell us what you leak started with and what's the build that you're currently playing on so we have a little bit of context as to your opinions about the, the leak mechanic and like everything that we're going to be talking about obviously depends massively on the build that you're experiencing it with. 
Uh, Never think. Do you want to go first? I'm curious. Sure. Um, this week has been slightly different for me than usual. I started out in an old school LAN setup with friends. We were four people and we <laughs> went for a Magic Find setup. And I've been the Magic Find color. We went for a, and we had three supporters there. Um, and I've been running um, um, Lightning Arrow Ballista setup as well. So we were running the Nico memories and later on doing some ghosted magic finding. And basically, that's also all I've done. I have an alternative set where sometimes switch you to do some trial of the ancestors and sanctum. But that's basically all I've done the league so far. After two weeks of that and also some conferences I had to attend to. Uh, I switched back to development, and con since I'm sitting on a whole pile of cash now, I'm considering making another build, but now Cyberpunk has caught my attention, so I'll probably get uh, back to uh, trial afterwards, since I actually quite enjoy the mechanic. Uh, th this was in uh, Softcore Trade? It is in Softcore Trade. We managed to find the Mage Blood and a bunch of other good stuff, so it's been quite good for us. After, yeah, no, I was just wondering, because yeah. you've been known to start in like Group Pond or, or SSF even. Yeah. So when so you say in a group, I was curious whether you're doing it like as a group in an isolated league or as a group in the trading. No, group. no, no. But uh, maybe next time in the kind of more of a group phone setup and more of a, yeah, we'll see. But this time it's been it's been ages since I really played in, a, uh, in any kind of party play or magic find setup. So it's a nice change of pace from the usual normal gameplay experience. I have right. also dropped a mage blood while magic finding this league. Nice. No way. Yeah. I've not dropped a mage blood while magic finding, nor have I been magic finding this league. Mm, same. Uh, what have you not been magic finding on Tanky? Cold dot. Cold dot. Leaked, yep, I leaked yeah, like... cold dot. It was uh, super easy to get to maps, super easy to do early gearing, and uh, there have been way too many games coming out. So I kind of I played cold dot for about two weeks, and then I swapped to the hideout warrior build. And I've been casually playing the Hideout Warrior build ever since. And I'm thinking of finally re-rolling into another character in Path of Exile. Probably early next week, maybe the week after. Not 100% sure yet. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. So, Balor, what, what's uh, this HC trade thing about? Ah. Uh, so, the, the best question, the question I keep getting is, like, why did you move to Hardcore Trade? And the answer is feeling-based. But I feel like I finished Path of Exile in Softcore Trade. <laughs> I made way too much money magic finding, and now I can make any build and just put mirrors of content into it and laugh while it does everything in the game. And so I got bored. And then I was like, mm, okay, off to hardcore it is. Um, and now I'm level 88. I haven't died yet. Um, well, yeah. I made a, the explosive arrow champion. I've got like 200 C and 2 divines, which is a good start. But yeah, I don't know. I'm really enjoying hardcore again. I, I've been talking about if, if all of the hardcore solo self-found guys that started to trade this league if they start trade again next league i might league start here hmm. sounds good yeah i i mean i have a similar feeling like i i got a new processor and some components and like i got rid of like the worst 
troubling parts that drag down my performance. And so I, I can actually play Path of Exile without dropping below 60 FPS all the time. And yes. I've been having a feeling yes. that, yeah, I might return to hardcore at some point in the future. But my skill is just not on point. Like, I, I don't know. I've been playing this Reap Juggernaut build, and I've been funneling so much currency into the build. And, like, recently I got the Indomitable Resolve, like the Flesh and Flame combo for the Hidden Marauder Ascendancy passive, where you deal 10% less damage, but you take 25% less damage. And I was like, that's going to solve all my problems. I'm not going to die after this. And I'm still dying, so still still, uh, still investing into the build to be eventually, maybe, hopefully, the all-rounder that I'm looking for that can kill everything but will not die. You know, that's the kind of ideal that I want to go for. But I'm I'm more than any time before I'm enjoying myself playing this build for a long period of time. Maybe it's because I'm somewhat putting in casual hours, right? I'm only playing like three, four days per week. And then also like not doing the 12 to 14 hours graveyard stream shifts. But I'm like just trying to, to mm. keep the stream fun, active, energetic, and engaging, right? Between four and eight hours, and then just finish when I don't feel it anymore when I want to eat. And um I, I can totally see myself go another two weeks with the build and uh, and maybe actually get it into a state that I personally feel will be worth to write a build guide about finally. And and it's a build that no one else is like documenting super hard. I mean, it's not going to be something that I can popularize because it's not a great league starter, but it is. The build has something about it and I, I like it. How much Toda have you guys played recently? <laughs> Since I uh, did my Toda push to like 700 rank with a duo friend, I just didn't feel like doing the whole thing solo anymore. And I also didn't feel like making new character because like all the progression is character bone, right? So like I can't mm -hmm. make a new character and, and start up on that because I'll have to start from scratch again. And the it's... difference between having a build that is min-max to do the mechanic and like just having a good build and doing the mechanic is just massive. This is my problem with Toda. Um, my first character, I got to like 650. I didn't do it that much. And then on my next character, I farmed up to like 1100 and I really enjoyed it. And then I made a third character and I was like, I don't want to start at zero again. And so I never went back until I changed into hardcore because I'd already done from zero to 700 and then from zero to 1100. And then I was on my third build being like, what? Why would I? Yeah. I would want to start at one again. What is this? Yeah, my duo partner actually told me just roll a new Marauder, right? And transfer all your gear from your previous Marauder onto the new character and then use your old character to make a Toda specialized character because that one already has the ranks. Yeah, it's... Uh, I actually can't fathom a world in which they made this same mistake again. Like, this is Delve all over again. We've done this. This is the same mistake. It's such a good mechanic. It's so fun. I want to play it. But I can't go sideways, and I can't pick a depth that I'm already at, and I have to start again from the beginning. So if you go all in on one character, there's no re-rolling. If you re-roll, you're done with Toto. No one's, no one's doing that grind again. <laughs> yeah. Where do you stand on that Never Sync on, on it being character-bound? Mm, I actually thought it was global, and now I'm very, very disappointed that my move to making a second character has gone down significantly. Uh, but yeah, mm -hmm. that's definitely a problem then. Um, I pushed Dota to 700. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I feel I had some optimized gear and stuff specifically for Dota on my Magic Finder to quickly swap there. It still wasn't was kind of 
very messy since I would have need to change, change the spec and all of that. So it's not definitely not optimized, but I really like the gameplay. The problem, so is I feel like the whole ranking system and the whole fact that you need to optimize for disruption and not for damage and basically is messing with the game mode. It's a cool game mode, but I really wish it would have not have ranking or at least it would allow you to go horizontal like in Delve. Delve, you can go faster, but go horizontal if you want to. You don't lose. With Storter, basically, you need to dig down all the way. It gets harder, and then you need to kind of make this specialized niche disruption build uh, at some point. And this is just... It's a cool game mode, but it kind of is self-defeating in a way. So I hope when it comes back, and I think it will come back, it needs to be different. Oh, yeah. Oh, welcome back. They already said something about that. But uh, where do you stand on the, the whole Toda thing, Tanky? A little mixed, because on the one hand, I got to around rank 700 very quickly on Cold Dot. Because Cold Dot's pretty darn good at just disrupting by chilling everything, dealing passive damage, all that stuff. Right. But then I got to this point where I either have to take it seriously and specialize my build for it, or I don't really get very much for it because it takes so long on a non-specialized build. And I really like well-rounded characters. I don't enjoy specializing my builds for one specific thing. And so I'm still at about rank 700 because I don't mind the you can't transfer it between characters part. I do mind the you can't go sideways and roughly maintain your current rank. But if I, I know well, if I do it more, I will get past where my build is comfortable. And then it will stop being fun. If I could just sit at 700 and farm it, I'd probably just sit at 700 and farm it when I feel like it. Yeah, the, the core part is there when you say you can't go sideways and maintain your rank. And what I really mm -hmm. dislike about that is like you can technically go sideways. You just have to purposefully lose and like forfeit your rank. And then you can stay at the same mm -hmm. rank. But it's, it takes it's just so long. And yeah, also, but, yeah, it takes long. Time. It's impractical. And like, I hate it when you can technically do something like that, but you have to, like, the game doesn't allow you to do it via pressing a button, but you actually have to, like, log out or, or you know, lose, right? Yeah. And they implemented a button so that when your totem is down, now you can, like, forfeit a match. But you, <laughs> if, if, why isn't there not just a button from the start where you can just press it and be like, yeah. hey, I'm done with this? <laughs> it's worthless. Just to draw in another game for a second, that was one big problem I had with Last Epoch for a long time in the Monolith system. It was very easy to push corruption up, but you couldn't get rid of it. And finally, in I forget if it was 0 0.91 or 0 0.92, where they added a way to massively reduce your corruption, and that made the whole system just feel so much better. But I think Trial of the Ancestors, it would be the same. You need a way to either maintain your rank, like an unranked version, or lose a bunch of rank without having to go through the whole thing of, oh, I'm going to you know lose twice and lose twice and lose twice over and over again. We, I had this conversation on stream the other day. There's like, there's like a list several pages long of all the things GGG does right that other people get wrong or that I really love about it. And then there's like a really short list of weird mistakes they repetitively make and it's it's a real short list they're still up overall but one of the things they do is this sort of stuff where we've made these mistakes before more than once and then they keep making them again and it's real weird like they're still up overall it's still my favorite game it's just 
this is some weird stuff. Like we've we've had this problem before more than once with different mechanics. Why are we still doing it again? Why is it the same problem? Yeah. Well, let's dive into that a little bit. Why is it the way it is in the game? What's the design purpose? I'm curious, does anyone have a good explanation for why it is the way it is that you can't just forfeit ranks? Would it be too easy to like gen generate rewards? I think mm -hmm. it's not about the rewards. I would guess it's about the games this is based off of. Because if we look at Dota Auto Chess or Teamfight Tactics, there's no real reason why you'd want to lose because it's a semi-competitive or casual competitive ranked game. So the goal is to push up and in capturing the essence of the game genre, I think it was kind of overlooked that maybe that gameplay style wouldn't be fun for players when the difficulty in, let's just say Teamfight Tactics, is because you're going up against smarter players who are making better decisions. But they're still human. They still make dumb mistakes just like you do. Whereas in Trial of the Ancestors, you're going up against raw stats. It becomes less about how smart you are in approaching the content and more about how specialized is your build for the content. And I think that's where the disconnect exists. That in capturing the spirit of the game it's inspired by, it missed the fact that in translation, it becomes a gear check that's unfun. That, that's, that sounds feasible, but like, in reality, we've we've already done this before. Like, we could sit down and we could write a little short list. And when I say we, I just mean like collectively the community could sit down and write a list of like 10 mistakes really easily that are repetitively made. That have happened several leagues in a row that always end up needing to get fixed, but always are the same 10 or so problems that they do with leaks. And this is one of those problems. And I just don't really know how it keeps happening, especially considering how well they nail. Like I've got so many pages of good things and I've just got this little list of repetitive problems. And it's, it's just a weird thing. I don't know. Hmm. I believe uh, it, it is yeah. kind of a mix of different um, topics. So I'd like to do a few addresses to a few comments there. So first of all, I feel like the main problem with the total balance comes from a bit of a weird situation that you, if you specialize in total, you specialize in total based on pretty much always later on based on disruption. You want to be tanky and you want to be able to disrupt things. The problem with that, it doesn't scale with time or investment. Later on, you still pay one coin. It is the same price. It is the same investment. And it's pretty much the same time if you can do it. As fights all stay the same if you don't caring about damage. And this is where I think one of the huge roots of the problem come from. For Delve, if you specialize in it, you still need to deal the damage. So if you go deeper, you need more of you, you need to have the more damage, but you also get more rewards. This thought is a bit weird. You basically dig down or you increase your rank, but it's pretty much the same 1,000 or 2,000. So sure, you need to survive a little bit more. It's the same time, it's the same investment, and it just doesn't work well. The scaling type doesn't work really well with ranks because it is not measuring your raw stats in this case. And where this problem actually comes 
from. I believe it's just one of the results of the game type, and it's also one of the results of the way the game PoE is balanced. The thing about PoE is that these problems that come up over and over usually have something in common. Either they are mistakes that are easier to fix later on when you have more knowledge about the game, because GEG doesn't have any endgame knowledge about how the game feels and how it emergently feels after some experience, or these are mistakes that are actually perfectly okay to have there because they will appear a few weeks in, or the community will figure out the good solution to those mistakes by themselves after they play test that. So since I mean I can spoil a minimal information about how the alpha felt. Um, and it went in two weeks. You had a two weeks alpha period. And in those two weeks, it went from absolutely disgustingly unplayable and rough because they basically just pushed the first version of it there that was pretty much testable. And it's perfectly normal. It was a closed alpha, right? It went over to being somewhat playable. It went over to being smooth and fun, and the AI has been fixed, and a lot of things has been happening. It's been, it went basically a complete overhaul, like three or four or five or six or seven or eight times. It's been basically, actually, I uh, can't talk about any internal information there, but I was really surprised how smooth GEG pulled it off this time. Basically, there was feedback, they were reacting, they've been changing things on a daily basis. Um, so this is basically where the result comes from. These mistakes that keep happening every time are usually the result of emerging things you don't know much about. So they're not trying to fix that. They're trying to make the 90% experience of all players good. And they just were not optimizing for that. I think this is why those things come up, because it doesn't actually matter if the league is perfectly attuned after everyone has played for two weeks. If no one will play two weeks... It doesn't matter. Hmm. Yes, yeah. I mean, they tried to fix it with a reasonable success, like two steps forward, one steps back. But, and, oh. I yeah, would and say, like, this league on release felt remarkably polished. It's just like, you know, when you delve dive into it, then you, you start to uncover the, the little mm -hmm. problems with it. They had the a month more and a week more of Alpha. And they also, I think it was kind of a big release for them since it was post ExoCon. So I think they yeah. put extra effort there since they were expecting more people to arrive. I'm not sure. Um, not sure if actually more people were there, but I agree. It was polished. Oh, I saw a yeah. post today on the Reddit. Like, at least right now, the league is like one of the most popular leagues uh, of uh, the recent leagues, I mean, right? Like, only, only Ritual had more players on day 36. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm having... complaining. But Diablo 4 having great. less viewers on Twitch than Battlefield 2042 or whatever doesn't help. I have like top <laughs> top streamers have like 70 or 80 viewers there. Uh, so people have been leaking to PoE as well. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, like I'm complaining about like the resetting, but the reason I'm complaining about not being able to go sideways or not being able to make new characters is because I want to play more League Mechanic. <laughs> Right? Exactly. You want like, to play if it was it, a shit league mechanic, I wouldn't care about those problems. Yeah, and to address Neversing's point on emergent gameplay, I think especially with Path of Exile and the complexity of builds in Path of Exile, there's no way GGG can anticipate everything that a player will do. So what they have to do instead is look at 
how can we balance the mechanic so that players will be incentivized to play in a fun way? Keeping in mind that some people will min-max and play way too much of it. Uh, I, I forget the numbers, but I remember that when Delve came out, Chris was like, we don't think, there's technically an end, we don't think anyone will reach it. And within like a week, people hit the end of Delve. Because <laughs> yeah. GGG yeah. never assumed everyone would just go, oh, the damage ramps up. Well, do you actually I think, like, perfectly? sorry, like, may I just interject? Do you actually think when they say stuff like that, they really mean it? Or they're just no teasing way. the player base no. because they 50, know 50. that there's always this ongoing nah. back and forth between the player base and the dev, and everyone, like, tries to one-up each other, right? The, I, the, the dev I say, think, you're not going to break nah. the system, and the players are going to be, yeah, we're breaking that system. Right? I think it's a mix of both, where sometimes they don't think players will break it quite as quickly, but it's also a, let's see if we can get someone to go, oh, yeah, challenge it's accepted. Like engagement baiting, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's a 0% chance. Like with Delve, there's no way he said that, not expecting to raise the cap. He said that yeah. purely to be like, I bet you can't. Yeah. And the rest of us <laughs> exactly, went, that's what I'm thinking. Excuse yeah. me, I bet I will. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Like, and so there's a lot of innovation there. With thinking about just my experiences with trial, going up to 700 on a build that I don't think is terrible, Cold Dot. It's okay for trial. You can disrupt somewhat, but it's not an optimized build for it by any means. It was a good experience. I liked pushing up to that point and thinking about it as the average Path of Exile player probably isn't going to be pushing past that. I mean, even just among us, not all of us have pushed past that. Therefore, if it feels good up to that point, that's a really, really good baseline. Then the extra bit for the min-maxing I mean, it definitely needs to be there if it's a core mechanic. As a league mechanic, does it need to be there so that it's good for the min-maxers as well? Or is that extra development time that would better be served elsewhere? And I genuinely don't know the answer to that. That's a fair point. Did you feel that actually going up in rank was there i mean we're all basing this on anecdotal evidence basically because we don't have the numbers to back it up i'm sure we're like none of us like completely tracked and had like an excel table about all the rewards and all that but do you feel that going up in rank actually improved the rewards absolutely yes significantly yes yeah, uh, especially the uniques around like five six hundred i started to notice them way more i was like oh i'm getting this unique and that unique and this other unique mm, significantly well Enough so that I don't need a spreadsheet to be 100% certain, like a noticeably better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Agreed. It's anecdotal, but I feel like also from many players I've heard that the rewards below 400, I think there's actually some rewards can't even appear. And afterwards, especially the tattoos, and afterwards you slowly start getting the other rewards. I think in the chorus lock is even locked above I think like 700 and most of the good tattoos are locked about four or 500 or something like that. But this is something I read on Reddit. It might as well not be true, but I definitely noticed that going from the lower tiers to the higher tiers, the amount of divine orbs, the big rewards, you can even see the currency stacks. It becomes so much significant and this feels really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. From my own experience, I could tell like somewhere between 200 and 700 was a break point where it felt like all the currency stacks, like all the chaos and regret and scours were essentially double, you know, twice as big as they were before. And yeah, I 
like to think divines spawn more often, but then again, you know, one divine spawn in a couple of runs versus two divine spawns could just be RNG, yeah. right? I, I can't tell for sure. But um, I, w I wasn't sure for a while because it, it does definitely get significantly harder numbers-wise, right? The enemies get insanely tanky. They get insanely one-shotty. And like you guys already hinted at, the, the gameplay doesn't really change. There's not much that you can do in terms of playing better, but you really need to somehow play the stats game. If you want it's to a lot easier to tell point. when you're playing at eleven or twelve hundred on a character, and then you make a new one. You can you can very quickly tell. You can be like, "Oh, this is significantly less rewarding than my twelve hundred run," and mm -hmm. now I need to grind back up. Because I went I went from seven hundred on my uh, one dude to when I rerolled, I went from seven hundred back to the start and was like, "Oh, this is this is very noticeable." <laughs> Yeah, something else that was very interesting to me. Early on, people were saying that the Rongo Kurai units were overpowered just one-shotting them over and over. And I was like, what's going on here? Because I wasn't getting one shot. Turns out it's because they have Fizz Overwhelm. My defenses were Fizz taken as. I had basically no armor, but I had a ton of Fizz mitigation. Because I just, why take physical damage? And so I was negating the thing that was negating other people's defenses. And I was just like, why is this a problem? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it turns out if you have armor, it's a big problem. No, yep. yeah. I yeah, I also like don't I, notice that. I feel yeah, like I should sure. add something that I definitely like seeing. I was very skeptical about that first, but now I'm very happy they did it. It feels really cool to have a no XP loss mechanic there because GG is yeah. so good at overtuning and creating absolutely deadly and sometimes outright unfair content. And many of my deaths in uh, trial felt absolutely random. Like getting one shot or just getting rushed from the other side of the screen by the spear guys and then instantly dying, especially on my poor magic find character. It was like, it, it, there were so many things that I felt instant best so it felt really nice that we just focus on maximizing my gameplay even if it's uh, taking risks if i wanted to without thinking about the experience and i think that's a uh, actually a cool ch shift i think it would be problematic if too many of those mechanics would appear but i yeah it, it was nice it was a nice change of pace you're happy with that being like that for a leak or would you be happy for it like to be permanently implemented in the game this is As, a, like a uh, thing i mean Maybe Balor can chime in as a hardcore trade player. Uh, how do you like the idea that people could just sit in Toda forever and gain XP and gear their character fully without any risk of ever losing their character? I love it. Um, and I think I wouldn't love it if it was handing out XP like Sanctum did or like Maps do. It's actually pretty bad XP. Yeah, that, that's fair to say. And I think it should be because you're at no risk of death or losing your XP. But it's bad XP that you just continually do get. Yeah. So if you if you spend enough time there, you get all the levels and you won't lose. But it's not going to be a speed running or speed leveling technique at all. You're not... Like, you're not you're winning a hundred race. Your degenerate min-maxer running these things is getting less XP than your average Alcan Go player if they don't die but that's good i think if you keep it there you can have a no death no xp loss mechanic if you keep it like we make xp but the xp isn't good 
but you can't lose it. That's a really good trade-off. That feels great. I'm also exceptionally happy to have it in hardcore now. Um, but I, if it was giving like s sanctum level XP or something, that would be that would be a problem. But it's not, so I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it for a league. I don't know how I feel about it being a permanent addition to the game. But then again, you know, once it goes core, it is also accessible at a far lower frequency, right? You won't get as many silver coins and roughly probably, you know, only spend 10 times of the 10% uh, of the time that you spent now in the late mechanics. So then it would be fine again if you get only okay. a tenth of no XP. Here's something. This is the first time since we had robots where I've Sentinel? been like, yeah, since Sentinel. This is the first league since Sentinel where I've been like, this has to go core. Like this has to go core. Like, how do you not... How do you not put this core? Was that on the meetup or where was that? But I'm pretty sure Chris said explicitly that Toda is like a very significant part of Path of Exile 2 that they're testing out right now by putting it in PoE 1. Hmm. I, I think somewhere I that has been anything about that. I, I didn't hear about that either, but that does tie into something that I've been thinking as the topic of EXP came up. Path of Exile 2 has a very different design philosophy from a lot of what we experience in Path of Exile 1. Uh, namely, as you're leveling through zones, if you dive, a monster's reset. Now, I don't know if they've confirmed if there's going to be EXP loss or not when you die. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I could see there being no EXP loss on death because you are losing progress in a different way. And that made me really think about why are certain things so rippy in Path of Exile? Well, it's because we can recover so much, right? And that's part of it, but it's also that we have six portals. Because now, to fail a map, you have to die seven times rather than just dying once. And that got me thinking, especially with Trial of the Ancestors, if you, dying isn't failure, but if you lose twice, you fail the tournament. So what if there was no EXP loss in a future mechanic if dying once caused you to fail that mechanic. Similar to, let's just say, Delve, fighting the bosses. You no longer lost EXP fighting them, but every time your attempt is consumed and all the I mean, resources we, are forfeit. We, we sort of had that with Sanctum, right? You could lose Sanctums without dying, but you could also yeah. die in Sanctum. That was mm -hmm. the difference. Yes, I agree I with thinking. Um, I feel that yeah, so first of all, I did not like whole instances resetting in DOE2 demo. I'll try it by more, worse experience, but it was also incredibly overtuned. Is doing the last level with the uh, sorceress in the alpha and then dying there once, and everything was basically one shotting in there, and you're getting permanent all the time. And it would reset the whole instance quest state, all of that. But aside from that, actually, I actually enjoyed the beta a lot. But um, I do agree. I'm not sure how I feel about the whole XP loss on death in general. Um, I think in I feel like this mechanic is maybe PoE one. It's one thing. Uh, in overtuned mechanic, it's probably also another thing. But in general, I think if there is some sort of punishment for dying or some sort of price you pay for dying, it is perfectly okay if that price is that and not actually the loss XP. 
So um, I feel like this is often a negative incentive that is uh, ruining the game or creating other sub-problems. It is very Diablo-esque and old school in that sense. But it also feels like, even in general, I felt like PoE could use a mechanic where you can just endless. I mean, when you, once your gear is really optimized, you don't swap items that often in PoE because mm -hmm. all of your things basically depend on each other. You try to change your ring and suddenly your resists uh, are gone. All of your items are red because you're missing seven decks or something like that. And <laughs> good luck with adjusting that. So at this point, you are just basically farming and maybe you'll get one level. But the, you could get to the point where you spend an entire day farming on a build that you're not feeling perfectly happy about, and you haven't changed or gained a single piece of power in the game. And this is, I feel like, is actually a weakness of PoE that can scare up especially less experienced players. They get to the end game and they don't know how to upgrade their characters and not even getting more upgrades. But they keep unlocking maps through the six portal system and they keep diving to harder content while dying more and receiving no power ups. And not sure if this is the best system. I feel there's some problem there, but maybe it's also a bit off topic. In general, I, I enjoy the no XP thing, no XP loss in um, Dota. In, in general, I've always been very vocal about that I enjoy mechanics that bring a little bit of hardcore to softcore or a little bit of softcore to hardcore as in like mechanics that you know you fail on one death in softcore compared to your maps where you have six attempts and then mechanics that will allow you to fail without losing your character in hardcore um i do think going forward though if they continue to add more exceptions to the rule if you will that it's going to be a little bit difficult for a hardcore player to keep track of when exactly am i at risk of losing my character and when am i not i already have that problem right now that like after a long toda session where i get comfortable with dying that i go into a map and i don't even think about that i have to play it safe in order to not die because i got used to that, yeah. that whole experience of, of not having a penalty but then uh yeah i don't know so for hardcore in particular one thing that might help that is just make a universal buff like hinakura's protection Whenever you can't actually die, you'll have Hinakura's protection on you. And so any hardcore player will go, oh, check my buff bar. Yep, it's there. I'm safe. Oh, not there. Okay. If I die, I Yeah, die. that would be a great idea because That's it's so simple and easy to tell in Path of Exile when you have a given buff on you or not. Maybe you I can mean, change the wrong with that. It's really easy to tell when you're out of combat. Yeah, true. Which yeah, is when I... you'd be checking this one. Right? Exactly. Yeah, it's hard to check debuffs and buffs that are happening actively during combat but if you just like enter a zone and have to look that's easy yeah right? you'd probably be doing it while in grace protection so nothing else is going on because yeah. you don't want to step out of grace period and then die and be like oh oh i lost my character for real yeah oh i need to check whether that is still in the game you just reminded me there was like a period of time where you could like enter an incursion and start casting blade vortex while you're still in grace and then grace would not end while you're casting blade vortex and you'd be ramping up blade vortex stacks while you're actually invulnerable <laughs> that was really cool but i, I feel like that they... i feel like that got fixed i hope it got fixed but i wouldn't be surprised to learn that it didn't because it didn't have the publicity that it deserved at the time when i found it out but yeah so um with toda being an out of map 
mechanic, like a mechanic that you need to leave your maps for and that it doesn't really interact with maps. The only thing that you do in maps is find the access tokens to the leak mechanic. Do you feel you're sufficiently rewarded for your time that you spent outside of maps? I mean, we're already touched on the rewards getting better, right? But like, is there a point where you really feel like, hey, this is this is worth my time that I'm completely a fan of this? Or is this still like all the way through mapping would be better? Because that's what I felt largely on my journey to 700 is like, hey, if we both do ALK and GO mapping strats by ourselves, we'd be making so much more money than this. But then I guess I didn't factor in all the tattoos because they were difficult to price at the time. So I'm curious what you guys think about it from your subjective experience point of view. Who wants to go first? Tanky looks like he has the, the words on the tip of his tongue. Yeah, I felt like it was worth my time, especially above 500. But here's the thing. I don't need to get the absolute most profit out of what I'm doing with my character because I know if I want the absolute most profit, I'll just be a hideout warrior and I will make five to ten times as much per hour spent as I ever could mapping. So as long as it's close enough, then yes. And I do think it gets that close enough, Mark. You have to get to a decent rank. And I suppose a lot of that was when I was doing Trial of the Ancestors more. A little later, let's just say roughly a month into the league. So I probably wasn't... I don't want to say punished, because it's not really a punishment. You could always just hold on to the tattoos. But I was not trying to sell tattoos at a time where there are four or five C each for the good ones. I was selling them when they were 30 or 40 C each for the good ones. So when I get a stack of three flask duration tattoos, that's a decent amount of money. And that doesn't happen too infrequently. Don't know why I used a double negative there, but it's pretty common to get a decently priced tattoo. So yes, I felt rewarded. It was probably, let's just say similar to Alkin Go, maybe a little better, maybe a little worse. Yeah, fair. I changed my mind at the beginning. I was like, this is the most unrewarding thing I've ever done in my life. Um, actually, before they buffed it, I worked out. Like, I actually, like, sat down and worked out the time and I would have made more money if I was running blood aqueducts over and over again. Um, that was before the buff. You literally made more money if you ran blood aqueducts. Most of what um, I did was post-buff. For yeah, clarity. that was that was before the reward buff. After the reward buff, it felt like okay, and then I I, I made I ran it for the fun factor just because it was it very and it is very fun and I like it. And then I came over to hardcore, and it is shocking how much more rewarding it is over here. I would have thought all these prices would be pretty similar, and everyone wanted to be here because you can't die. Turns out. I made like 200 chaos before killing Act 5 Katava by just running the silver coins I'd picked up off the floor. And so, at least in hardcore, it's super rewarding. It's great. Hmm. How, how do you think a smaller economy? Is that the reason? Or like, uh, no, just no just one way wants more to run of the it. tattoos are worth money. Oh, like, okay. the 2% life tattoos are like. 55 chaos how, how you figure that happens is that because they leave <laughs> the economy on, on yeah. dying characters yeah it's just because they leave they're not around forever that's the, yeah. the big factor okay because i also think like in hardcore there might be the point that you know you're not comparing the profit that you turn in toda to like fully juiced maps but you're comparing it to like mid-tier like reasonably safe yeah. maps to run without risking losing your character right 
you to just make too, like, with like a master and maybe a scarab or, or like a you know and then like, like divines are worth less so chaos is worth more and then on top of that all of the tattoos are worth nearly double the amount of chaos because they keep leaving and people need new ones and I don't know, seems to be a lot better. I'm just, I'm really, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on this league. I'm, as soon as I moved over to hardcore, I'm like on the hardcore train again. I don't know what, I don't know what happened. I wasn't I a degenerate softcore juicer. I don't know how this, I don't know well, how like this you happened. You finish the game, like you, you reach a point where you've done everything in softcore <laughs> and there's just no, no thing anymore where you're like asking yourself, wait, could I do that? You just know, like I can do anything I put my mind to. And at that point, hardcore becomes interesting again, I guess. I mean, I had a, like a... What is, what is your thought on that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't really have an answer. All I know is I'm going to... A bunch of people who haven't played hardcore before from my chat re-rolled when I did, like the same day, and was like, I'm coming over to hardcore. And so far, like 12 people or so, 11 of them are still playing hardcore and are like, this is actually great. So, if you're getting bored of trade but not bored of PoE, <laughs> give it a go. Come into hardcore. Is the trade economy still so much better in hardcore than it used to be? I would never play hardcore trade unless all the solo self-found streamer people are playing the hardcore trade league. Because with them comes the portion who would be willing to play hardcore of all of their communities. So, the hardcore trade is like more active than I've seen it in a very long time. The economy is still very healthy. There's still plenty of people to trade with. If they all go back to solo self-found, I'm not interested in solo self-found at all. Straight back to trade softcore. I don't want to play solo self-found. Wait, I just realized you went to hard... That means you're also not playing the Badger Private League this time around. Mm -hmm. How come that? Uh, having too much fun in hardcore. Didn't want to didn't wanna stop. Okay, fair enough. No, I just, I deliberately decided, like, when I heard of BPL happening, like, it does happen every league, but, like, some week or two into the league, I realized, oh, wait, there's actually a BPL happening. I was like, yeah, I'd love to, but, like, I've played too hard the last couple ones. I'll skip this one and go back to the next one with more enthusiasm again. Because uh, I tend to go really hard on on, on those BPLs because I, I always tell myself, oh, this time I'll do healthy so I don't burn out. But then once you're in the team and once you're in the dynamic, <laughs> like you just get pulled in. You're like, oh, I could go to bed now, but I could also just power through another two or three hours and do this or that and get my team some points. So, yeah. No, that, that's great. I might actually try hardcore. Uh, one more aspect I wanted to talk about Toda before we move on into the, the general like endgame talk. Uh, was the enemies. Like, we already mentioned that at a certain point it becomes more or less a numbers game and there's not really that much that you can do in terms of, like, counterplay uh, other than, like, making your build very fit. Is there any any adjustments that you think should be still made to the enemies in some departments? Like, I, from my... from. From my side, I'd say the... the What was the name? I forgot the names because I've not been in the mechanic. Titanic Titanic Turtle. I didn't find that one too problematic, but I, here at higher ranks, it's a real pain. But I really don't like the the guy or the lady. What is it? Ikaho or something like that. Ikiaho. Ikiaho. The one with the the lunar yeah. thing. 
yeah. the, the chaos mm -hmm. comet that just oh. instantly one shots me all the time. Like maybe maybe it's different now that I got some chaos resist. Like I think at the time I was at sitting at minus one or something like that. But it, it just feels like it had very little telegraphing, very little counterplay to it. Like most of the time she cast it, she was actually off screen and she casts it so instantly that like the moment I notice it happens, I already got the I'm dead. Right. There's and, two that do that. Ikiaho and Tafanuku. They both have off screen comets that are very annoying. Yeah. My my only two are Titanic Shell and I want the range down on everything that can attack me from off screen. You shouldn't be able to even stun me if I literally can't see you. All right. That's I like this because there's no if a projectile comes in from off screen at the speed it comes in. There is no counterplay. I couldn't see it. And mm -hmm. I don't like being hit by shit. I can't see because then that's not me screwing up. That's just yeah. What did just there you go? It was off screen and it decided to hit me, so it hit me. Like or, I don't, I hate that. At the very least, if there was projectile deceleration when it came from off screen, where you had time to see it coming in and dodge it, like if it had a slower projectiles effect. Yeah, maybe something. I just don't want to be killed from off screen. That's all. I just if you could if you could just stop killing me from off screen, I'd be real happy about that. That's that's it. That's that's the only thing that annoys annoys me a lot. Yeah, I think it's really essential for action role playing uh, gameplay that you actually have a chance to make the right decision instead of being like, well, you could have anticipated that something was going to try to hit you, <laughs> yeah, and you should have preemptively moved. One game I want to call out quickly for doing this surprisingly well is Armored Core Six. There's a lot going on on the screen in that game, and it's very chaotic, but it's also quite easy to tell where you need to move to dodge things. Because even if an enemy's firing 50 missiles at you, they're following a pattern. They arc out, and then they collapse towards your location. So you can then dodge, 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 take no damage. If something's sweeping the screen with a giant laser, you can see the arc of a laser and dodge it. I was very surprised at how effective that game is. And right, broadcasting cool. things. Sorry, that was and, my alarm. Yeah. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, in Trial of the Ancestors, especially if you are generating a lot of spell effects, like with Cold Dot, it's not the best. There are times where I get hit by stuff, and I'm like, I don't know what hit me, but it's probably because I just covered the screen in white fog. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I generally agree. Um, I felt like sometimes it was a little bit hard to tell what was hitting me. And at times, um, so yeah, the turtle has been causing some specific troubles from some specific sets. That's one topic. But um, the comets were annoying and the off screens were, in general, this whole feeling of I'm starting to channel something and there is a chance that within the next second, something will just rush at me from off screen and uh, hit me so fast that I don't have the time or the, um, the latency to react in time, that felt really silly. And then you're sitting there stunned for like four seconds. Uh, yeah, so I feel like they've done a lot of things right in this league. Um, but the off-screening, 
yeah, that needs to that needs to go. But overall, I still would I think it it is definitely commendable. I feel like this league has brought in a lot of really cool creativity. I also like that they've taken their completely unique spin on the whole um, auto battler thing, and there's a lot of very interesting units and fun things to fight. And in general, I feel like it's a very very creative league in terms of um, your units and. One more note I'd like to put out there. I'm really impressed with the AI they've set up for the units, both your units and the enemy units. Sure, sometimes they feel a little bit silly, but overall, it, they managed to get something done that feels very dynamic, very alive. You're, it's the mm -hmm. first time where I feel like, hey, some NPC in PoE that is not my minion it's actually useful to me, or I can actually do a little bit of reliance on them, especially kind of at the start when you're playing defensive and your flankers take out totems. It feels like, war. what's going on? I'm used to Alva sitting there and dealing exactly zero damage. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice. It's, it's nice. It's a nice phase of change. I really like it. Yeah, and something that I'd like to call out with both this league and also Sanctum more of GGG's recent leagues feel like they could be standalone games. Where if I saw a Trial of the Ancestors game on Steam or a Forbidden Sanctum game on Steam, it could actually a game. Yeah, it could stand alone. <laughs> None of that. No. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm biased because I like what GGG does, but I'd buy it. A lot of these fit into that little like steam six dollar game category like the little the little six to eight dollar games a lot of these leagues could, could yeah. be nice right uh, i actually said one thing that i wanted to talk about but there's two more things on my mind and then like one of them would be uh, it's, I'll do the small one first. The small one is like, how do you stand on evasion being so much better versus the leak mechanic than armor? Because avoiding hits means you don't get interrupted, and not getting interrupted means you don't have that five second stasis. And obviously, you could be a very tanky dude, but have like zero hit avoidance, and you get hit and interrupted all the time. Versus, you could be a very like squishy build, but you just have a lot of evasion, and like you don't get hit, and then you don't get interrupted. Feels a little bit weird that elite mechanic favors one specific defensive style, or is that completely fine as long as it's not always the same every league? Because I think it, in Sanctum it was similar, right? Wasn't like avoiding, like no, Sanctum no? Uh, ignored defense ignored defenses, yeah. but there was something with Sanctum, but I don't remember. <laughs> Sanctum uh, temporal chains. You could slow enemy action speed, thus making it easier to dodge mm -hmm. them. But Fair your enough, yeah. armor, evasion, dodge, block, all of that completely negated originally. I believe overall it's fine. It, it is a bit of a balancing issue. I'm not sure. I mean, if if Tota is going to stay, which is likely, I don't think it will stay with the current ranking system. And maybe they'll have a chance to overhaul it then. But as long as it's not that one defense type actually favors everything, um, I think this is totally fair. In fact, maybe some sort of asymmetric design is actually beneficial. 
because you're feeling like you're doing something smart or you're feeling you're taking up a challenge and some people like that. So as long as it's still viable to go for either, it is nice. Like we have this thing in Labyrinth, in Labyrinth Armour and uh, some hybrid builds with some energy shield regeneration do have some advantages over other builds. And this is perfectly fine. We've seen this thing going on as well in a lot of other situations. Uh, same thing in the Sanctum, a very nice evasive and very nice energy shield builds also have specific advantages in certain situations. Uh, I like the fact that if you have something that provides you with a little bit of an additional incentive to say, hey, this build is good for that, this build is good for that. We have the same with damage mechanics. Like certain builds are much better for Legion. Or certain builds mm -hmm. are much better for something like Blight or certain uber content. Why shouldn't defenses? I mean, as long as you can still do that, why shouldn't defenses have some priorities? It's, it's okay. I don't hate yeah. it. And that reminds me of something. I have not before this league seen anyone really using acrobatics. And I've seen <laughs> several builds in Trial of the Ancestors using acrobatics because you layer evasion and True. spell dodge. You don't care about mitigating the hits because they're going to one-shot you anyway. You care about avoiding the hits. Therefore, it actually has a purpose for this dead keystone. And Finally. Yeah, exactly. It's cool. I like that. True. That is a factor that I did not consider. Yeah, I like that as well. That it lets you use that stuff. Okay, and the other question I had is, like, how impactful do you think is the unit constellation and the way where and how you place them on the field, and what's your go-to strat with that? And when you start a new tournament, how do you progress into the later rounds and, and all that? I'm curious whether you guys have the same approach as I have. It's incredibly impactful, and I love it. I feel like this <laughs> is one of the best things about the league. It felt like it, I was being rewarded for being tactical. It's always a good thing when where POE rewards you being tactical in a way where it still doesn't feel like wasting time. And well, my usual go-to approach is a little bit dependent on the enemy team. Try to put flankers where there are no defenders on the enemy side. Uh, put always at least one flanker, at least one defender on, um, and one attacker. Usually that's kind of my setup go-to. Uh, prioritize Sunrise Sages, um, have a bunch of Trial Masters out there, um, not Trial Masters, the Onslaught guys, uh, have a bunch of Kitava Horns, there's a whole bunch of different units I'd like to have on the team, but um, fill up all slots as soon as possible, We've generally been pretty much messing with all kinds of units, and most of them feel pretty decent, and yeah, I, I really, really like the fact that the, the game rewards you for actually learning it a little bit, and um fiddling around and figuring out some strategies so yeah that felt really really good i feel like they really exceeded at making it fun because i'm not sure if the rewards are good enough because i don't care i just i felt like i was being rewarded well enough i just enjoyed the mechanics so much that it was actually worthwhile for me to have this little mini game going on <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a really big part is actually whether you enjoy your time because like obviously a, a league mechanic or like a um, farming strat could make you all the money in the world, but if it's you know every minute you spend in there, you'd rather uh, end your uh, existence in the game than uh, that's hideout yeah, warrior strat. <laughs> hey, I I enjoy being a hideout warrior and crafting. 
there is times where I enjoy that as well. Like uh, uh, one hour it. out of an eight-hour stream, right, or an eight-hour playing day, I'm completely fine being a hideout warrior. I like to price my items. I like to do some trades. I like to you know spend my farmed crafting materials on the basis that I found. What I don't like about hideout warrioring is the whole planned approach, right? Like going and buying like a hundred essences of this or a hundred resonators of that kind, and like this oh, whole planned me. approach to hideout warrioring. But hideout warrioring with what I already have when I'm taking a break from mapping anyway, I'm fine with that. That's fun. A hundred essences, that's like five minutes though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was like, I don't know, something I pulled out of my onto the I, back of my brain i definitely do oh i want to craft for the next couple hours here let me buy a thousand essences or resonators or whatever <laughs> i make I mean, that can be great content it's just like stuff that i don't really enjoy doing yeah i make friends of a bulk sellers in terms of strategy and units my initial strategy unfortunately got nerfed out of the game because my first strategy was pairing hinakor's horn and consuming kuna kuna and preventing enemy units from respawning because it would extend their respawn timer <laughs> so long that some, like the champions just wouldn't respawn. And I just go, oh, click that totem, click that totem, click that totem. Yay, I'm winning. And then that got changed. You can't stack those effects nearly as effectively. Luckily, the enemies can't stack it nearly as effectively against you either. And I really started to heavily, heavily invest in flankers. So I always try to have yeah. at least one ranged defender. The other defenders, they can be a mix of range and melee depending on the units I have. But I want at least one ranged because I find they just cover the back line better. Yes. I want at least two flankers at all times. Whether I put them, you know, one left, one right, or two left, two right, depends, again, enemy team comp. If the enemy team has a whole bunch of totems on the right side, I'll put my two flankers left, and I will sit on the right side to block incoming enemy units. And then attackers, I want disruptors, tanky units, Surprisingly, even the turtles that everyone's like, these are bad, are pretty darn good as attackers. Because the, the lunar ones? Yeah. With enemies the cold rod. Yeah, get they, they stuck have... trying to kill them and waste a bunch of time. And my favorite escort unit is the, I think it's Storm Conduit. It's the guys with a proc shield. And so then I just go, la la la, you can't hit this, and click enemy totems and uh, have a blast. <laughs> That's so different from how I've been running this whole time. Both of you. Uh, my literally first round, no matter what, I will fill flanker spots immediately. Yeah, that's, All that's what I was going to say. Like, fill the flanker spots as soon as possible and never keep them empty. Yeah. Keep yeah, up that There will never be an empty flanker spot in my runs ever. Now, uh, and then my first priority is to replace my flankers with good flankers, which are, for me... Um, Sages and Thunderbirds, both of those, whichever one I can get my hands on first. And then the next priority is Escorts. I will fill all four Escorts and all four Flankers before getting any Attackers or any Defenders. Oh, okay. That, that hard. Mm -hmm. Okay, for me, I try to balance, like, Flankers and Escort until they're both full, with a priority on, on Flanking. But I always want flankers and ex escort, and then only once I got those, I start like putting into attacker and defenders. But that's also maybe it was different for me because I was doing the duo strat, so we already had like one dedicated attacker, one dedicated defender, right? So we only needed the flankers to keep up the pressure on the enemy team and the escort to help out with wherever you need the help. Yeah, I tend to not use as many escorts because I frost blink around a lot, and I found that most escorts can't keep up with me. So I use escorts usually as a filler slot. 
anything that I don't have a good place for in my strategy, I'll just be like, eh, they can come with me. They'll kind of get lost along the way, but they'll do something useful. It's fine. Same experience. I also like to get um the there's an item that gives you flush charges. I put that on an escort, and I'll always try real hard to get one of the onslaught dudes if I don't have onslaught built into my build. Make sure he's on an escort as well, so he comes with me. If you like yeah. the, I think there's quite a bit of some things every, all of you said that can I I can most agree to. I feel like I definitely agree that flank is the most valuable spot, but I haven't found that maybe I've been not playing a hyper-optimized build, uh, so I did have to cover a few more roles here and there. But in my opinion, flank, while flanker was the most vital spot for winning, it wasn't the, spot, the only spot I would fill. I felt like having ranged defenders was incredibly valuable. I felt like having uh, attackers with AOE was incredibly helpful because they would disrupt so many enemies all the time. Mm -hmm. They would keep them busy and that would give my, me and my flankers enough time to actually take things out. And I've been also constantly shifting between being a little bit more on defense, being a little bit more on attack, depending on how the enemy composition there is there. But this is also something that I really, really like. I feel like this conversation, everyone's playing the game in a totally different way and having fun and having success and finding their own strategy. This is this is the quintessence of good design, and that's really good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I, do, I, I do love the fact that there's no just like set like this is it this is the way to win and that's it and if you don't do it that way you're wrong I, I like that that's not happening I like to save up for a Kaldara Ravager mid-tournament that's good always make sure to like spend my points with the masters that I don't want to like Navali always gets gives you some crap and you don't really want it later on but I always make sure to buy crap units that I can sell to the other guys for half the price to, to fill up that little bit of of a gap that I have maybe in order to get one of the higher units and I also found out that the the item that gives LMP works with both the, the spear fishers and the tide callers apparently so like they both projectiles <laughs> that that helps a lot especially when they defense Wait, not just that. Um, the actual the 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 baby like sages, the one Navali gives that are trash normally. Baby um, if you multi them, they're actually yeah. good. Uh, oh, okay. The Navali units, if you can multi them, they're actually great. It's I don't know what their skill is, but it's almost it almost behaves like creeping frost. Like it overlaps and they do a buttload of explode damage. Huh. Hmm. And so if you multi-proj them, they suddenly become units that are good. It could just be Creeping Frost. It, it might just be a slightly different looking Creeping Frost, because that's how it's behaving. Mm -hmm. And we've all seen the Creeping Frost builds where they they do like the shotgun thing, right? Like mm -hmm. My favorite like that's, for multi- That's it. Mm -hmm. uh, for multi-proj, my favorite is the Tide Callers. Yeah, yeah, I do like that. if I have one of those, that's just my defense. I don't need to put any other defenders on. <laughs> that one tide caller's got it. Ah, oh, there's so many different options. Mm -hmm. I also feel that Kinecore's one deserves some sort of MVP status. They might not be the most effective unit out there, but they're so universal and so worth the prize. They're good on defense, good on attack, they slow down respawn, the your units respawn faster, the shit. 
give me all the kind of chorus at once perfectly. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I just, I just, I want to play Montoda. This is fucking, this is great. <laughs> Yo, could, why does this have to be the league that like 700 other games are coming out that I also want to play? That's a like, very good question. Uh, we've I'm had some stinker leagues that I didn't want to play before. Could we schedule all the games that aren't POE on one of the stinker leagues and not the good league? <laughs> That'd be great. Would be nice, but uh, I've been stuck in... I don't even have time to play all the games I want to. No, me either. <laughs> uh, everything good comes out at the same time. It's horrible. And usually this happens That's in December. Hmm. I need to find about eight more hours in the day so I can play everything. So what haven't you played yet that you want to? Uh, I played maybe one day of Torchlight and I wish I got to play at least a week of that. Um, I didn't even get to touch on December. It's got a new season. It looks really good. It looks it looks great. Haven't got to touch it. Um, there's Cyberpunk coming out, and I know I'm only going to get play that for like two or three days total. And I would love to give that a week or two at least. Um, I didn't touch Starfield. I didn't have any time for that. Um, there's so much. <laughs> yeah. After Cyberpunk, it's Baldur's Gate for me, finally. I've been trying oh, to avoid all the spoilers. It's uh, and, and every single person who played it is basically telling that this is the best game ever, or at uh -huh. least hyping up a very certain character. And my girlfriend is all over the blonde vampire guy. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, definitely need to play that. But yeah, to totally stuck in Cyberpunk, very enchanted with the game, never played it before. Uh, and in between there, I'm still working on the project at least. And yeah, back then there was a whole Unity drama, which also interesting enough consumed a lot of time. It's been a, it's, I definitely agree with Bauer. For a good league, it's the league is totally consumed by a lot of other things somehow. Yeah. For me, I've played some Baldur's Gate. I definitely want to play more. Uh, I'm playing Armored Core 6. I played a little bit when it first came out, kind of going yeah, back. That too. That too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then the games that I haven't gotten to pick up at all yet, uh, Sea of Stars, that looks really good. Lies of P, also a very interesting kind of Bloodborne-esque game. And Starfield, just because it's huge. Although at this point, I'm probably going to wait for the Game of the Year edition or whatever and all oh the mods God. and fixes. There's another game that just came out uh, that really, really looks good that I haven't got to try yet. That's like one of those $7 games. God of Weapons? Hmm. It's um, whatever you call the genre um, that Brotato was, except a, a very different version, but that genre. Yeah, Bullet Heaven games. Yeah, uh, it looks really good. I've seen one or two YouTube videos on it. It's got a different angle from most of those games that you watch on, way different graphics from most of those games that I watch on, and a way better, in more interesting like item system and meta progression than I've seen in other versions of that game. Looks really, really good. It's like $7. I've already bought it. I don't know when I'm going to get to play it, uh, but it looks great. 
you guys played i know tanky has but how's the the rune master in last epoch have you uh delved oh, into that's that another one i didn't get to try yeah i mean it's i I've, too much i luckily was able to uh, get a sneak peek at gamescom right mm -hmm. that's great but uh yeah have you played it tanky since yes. the, the release yeah i played through i made an ignite frost claw build that went quite well and it was very fun i think rune master has to be the best designed class in last epoch so far because every skill i played I went into it and I was like, oh, I'm going to do this thing with it. Wait, I can do something totally different. Wait, why are both of these good? There's so many options that are just really, really good with all the different okay. skills. And they have great synergies. So uh, just mm -hmm. Balor and Neversink, you're both aware of how the Rune Master works. Or maybe we should quickly explain okay. it. It's like that one guy from Dota. People Invoker. always compare it to that oh, one. Where Cool. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Invoker is similar to Runemaster's Runic Invocation skill. Just that. Yeah, he but also, there's so many other skills. Yes, he also has several other skills, like Frost Claw, like Glyph of Dominion, like uh, Frost... I think it's Frostwall. I converted it to Fire, so I keep wanting to say Wall of Fire, which is the spell from Dungeons & Dragons, but I'm pretty sure it's Frostwall by mm -hmm. default. All of those work very differently. Uh, Frostwall is really cool. It's a kind of dot skill that also does different things whenever you or an enemy pass through the wall. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Glyph of Dominion, you put a, by default, lightning rune on the ground, has a dot effect, and then it explodes at the end of a duration. You can make it fire. You can do all sorts of fun elemental stuff, because Rune Master's whole deal is swapping between multiple elements. And he also has a ton of different trigger skills. So I was doing the Frostclaw Ignite. When my Frostclaw hits enemies, it has a chance to trigger Elemental Nova. And I found out that triggering Elemental Nova bypasses the cooldown for the version that has a bigger AoE and more damage. And so it's just like, wait, I get to do this for free? Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I need mm -hmm. to, I urgently need to play it myself. So that, that sounds like there's a lot more build potential in the Rune Master than I initially thought there was. Yes. Because I thought it was basically just mainly like centered around the runic invocation and that you'd optimize your build around like playing one or two certain rune combos with the runic invocation skill, right? Because the runic invocation casts a different spell based on like which three runes you have on you, basically the, yeah. the last three skills that you cast, whether they're fire, cold, or lightning. And uh, yeah, I just thought that that's the, the central thing, but you, you, you're just telling me it's so much more. I need to start playing that game again. Damn. Mm -hmm. There's, I hope it runs as smooth as it did on Gamescom. <laughs> yeah. So there's two builds I've seen, and I'm sure there's plenty more, but I just haven't seen, that do focus on specific rune combos, one of which was an Ignite Glyph of Dominion build that focused on Igneous Rain for Ignite stacking. The other is Hydrahedron, where you turn your runic invocation into just a little turret that shoots bolts at stuff. But I didn't even have a runic invocation on my build. I was just using the runes for buffs. I had it on my bars, but I never hit the runic invocation button because it was just there to provide me buffs for having specific runes. And so you can build around it. You can work it into your build as an augment, or you can just ignore it entirely. Okay. Yeah, certainly looking forward to playing around with it. But moving back to Path of Exile, which we're still have to talk about some things outside of Toda. 
when you're not doing totem, what are you doing currently? What is your Atlas farming strat? What is your uh, your go-to thing if you want to play for a little bit? What if the answer is farming silver coins so I can do more totem? <laughs> <laughs> just in the acts, like just running act zones for silver coins? Nah, I'm still on maps, but I don't know. I'd... I was doing full degenerate solo MF stuff in softcore. My character's worth like, I don't know, two mirrors, two and a half mirrors. Uh, it's got the best MF gear I've ever worn in my life on it, but it's just too strong. So it's too, it's, it's too strong to be interesting now. Well, how just out of curiosity, maybe don't go super deep on it, but how do you set up your maps for that? You just go delirium beyond everything. Um, I skipped Delirium entirely. It was okay. slowing me down. It's yeah, not that I couldn't do it. It, just, it wasn't making me more money per hour. Right. Um, so, uh, hang on. Uh, Atlas. It's um, just Scarab Divination Reliquary Ambush. Beyond 8 Mod Corrupt, Strongbox is Rare, Strongbox in Rage. Just the, the standard, like... Strong boxes per hour setup. Um, I didn't even do ghosting. Um, the ghosting stuff looks really, really good. It's very, very strong. Um, except that it doubles the amount of time it takes me to make a map, to run a map. And it doesn't quite double the amount of currency I get out of every map. So I just skipped it and just did the old school thing. And it made... Why does it take longer? Because the ghost AI still takes so long for them to decide whether they want no, to No, because or... as a solo player... I have to have a build strong enough to stand around and not die. And I have to go open all the strong boxes and put the ghosts in the mob first. And to do that as a solo player and keep all my quantum rarity means that needs to be a different character. Uh, right. So I just, ah, oh, I'm good. I see. So I'm currently farming Alvas, right? Like I, Spect all into Alva because most of the time it's just me playing builds that need a Valskill and then you need a 21 Valskill eventually and those are typically very expensive on the trade economy so I tend to try and make them myself even though I'm remarkably unlucky with the Dorianis Institutes but still better than to pay I don't know like double digit divine numbers for a 21 Val gym I guess and uh, and Locus of Corruption is still 1.4 div, right? That's uh, something I found out really quickly. And just running a couple of Alvas, I mean, it's really easy to get both. And if you get a Temple with the Locus, 1.4 div. If you get one with the Locus and an Apex, or, no, or like Locus and Dorianis Institute, then it's 1.7 div. Which is really weird, because if you get just the Dorianis Institute, it's like 170 Chaos-ish. So you get more with two separate temples with one has the institute and one other has the locus but if they're both in the same temple it's worth less than the two separate ones huh. because i guess just the temple itself is worth something because mm. the boss can drop things or i think people usually buy the one or the other very few people want to buy both at the same time so uh so they don't pay premium for the mm -hmm. other one being on there as well they just take it as like oh yeah it has a little added value but i'm not paying the full value for that yeah that makes yeah. sense I, I, just, I just think that there are dedicated temple farmers out there right and for those obviously they get to do two high value rooms in one temple and technically save time so 
there's that aspect as well. And the temple is as a baseline worth something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You get the vials yeah. from the boss and the strings, yep. I guess. Yep. And also the bases. Sometimes you get a pair of gloves which just randomly sells for five divines. Yeah. I guess another factor is that if you really only want the Dorianis Institute, then having the locus on your temple makes it harder to run because it reduces the max risk by so much. But I don't know whether that's a real factor in softcore for people. No. I <laughs> Most people don't, don't care about the downsides yeah. of the temple. I'm not sure it even would be in hardcore these days. Because they have no other mods and the enemies aren't that scary overall. There's like one mob type that's really scary. Like the, the guys that are the same as the Val Flesh Merchant. Like these uh, assassin, Val Assassin kind of like dudes that also go invisible for a moment and untargetable. Those guys are scary. But yeah, so I'm, I'm doing Alvas and I, I'm fully invested in Abyss and I got a little bit for random Delirium mirrors and then my build is terribly slow, right? So I realized really quickly that I can't keep up with the Delirium fog, so I specced into the Keystone, the new one where the Delirium stuff doesn't end and that makes it so you can't get Simulacrum Splinters and you can't get uh, the other rewards, the Delirium Orbs, so you only get Cluster Jewels from the Delirium specific rewards and I get so many cluster jewel bases. It's crazy. And now I'm thinking like, this is really cool for SSF, right? If I ever, or when I ever go back to SSF, I'm looking forward to having like a really nice way that is not spamming heist to farm a bunch of cluster mm -hmm. jewel bases. Have you guys tried any of the, the new keystones? I'm sure you did. Yeah, I've been playing around with a bunch of them. We've been playing around in Magic Fan setup with the Rarity Keystone, the Wanted Cube to Rarity Keystone. It's been causing some fun uh, loot explosions, but overall we decided it wasn't really good. I think everyone's favorite is the Expedition Keystone. Um, if you've tried, tried it, if you've, if you've played Expedition, and oh, if yeah. you, you've tried it, it's so good. It's just such a nice time saver because it basically protects you from yourself so that you don't spend too much time optimizing this thing. It also just affects everything. So unless you get oh some immunity up, it's actually quite good. Um, the others, also, if you're someone who hates expedition normally, which is me, this solves that problem. Give it a go because yeah. I've I never run any other league before this league. I hated it. Every time I put it on, I was like, this is miserable. It takes too long. I don't want to do mm -hmm. this. And now I just go plant and I mouse over, and make sure it isn't immune to the one thing that's a problem. And if it's not, I hit the go button. Yep. It's great. And yeah. we've also played around with the infinite, um, yeah, with the infinite delirium keystone and with the beyond keystone. Both of those have some very specific use cases for magic finding, which is quite fun. Uh, but yeah, I haven't actually played too much with the keystones because pretty much in most of the spare time, I've been magic finding when I've been playing there with the party. And uh, this a recommendation I can give you are the Nico mission. So try it out. It's maybe not the most profitable. It definitely is not the most profitable uh, strat, especially with investment. But this Nico mission that torments a lot of units uh, on a map and creates like hyper-tormented rare units. So if you slap a delirium out onto that and make the um, map rare with decent stats, it's hilarious with magic finding because there's so much quantity on these quadra tormented units. If there's a conversion mob, 
they fill up a whole screen with you, fill, you find like 100 um, scarabs or over 2000 jewelers or we had once a Lutus torch <laughs> with like 800 fusings and uh, sometimes you find just huge amounts of divination cards or currencies or over 100 uniques from a boss. So uh, it is also remarkably difficult at times. Like if you thought if we had a, a beyond boss basically was so speedy that the route to run and killed everyone one by one uh, in, in like <laughs> under one second. Uh, but at the same time, and we were able to take out a quadra ghost that causes to this point with delirium. So we had the, some decent builds going on. Uh, but it, it's it's a hilarious and interesting experience because you get these super concentrated mega drops of stuff. And, and where was this? The Nico memories? Oh yeah, there's a Nico memory that is basically was absolutely nothing like three chaos. No one uses those. And this memory basically says that every single rare in the map is ghosted from I think one to four ghosts, but it's usually four, and every unique as well. And you can't modify it too much, but you can slap a delirium off on that, and you can try to roll more rares and uh, and exiles. And you will then have this experience of having these ultra, especially on the last Nico map. You have you will frequently it's a memory change, so the last map will frequently roll over two uh, two fifty, especially if you corrupt them, two fifty quantity and insane amounts of rarity. And <laughs> if you magic find those, in fact. Like, 100 quant, 500 rarity in a party or something like that, uh, probably more. You you kill one of those rares and they have a conversion mo uh, conversion mod on them. The explosions are insane. Now it's still less profitable than your general highly tuned quadra scarab uh, um, divination card, strong box farming methods with ghosts, especially there with the ghosting. It's less profitable than that. I can I can spoil you that with investment comes that, but there's also a good part there. You have zero investment aside from delirium offs. The memories are cheap. You don't need to buy anything. You don't need to any map organization. You don't need any atlas. You uh, you need a few delirium ops, a few augs, and a few scours and a party, and that's it. You don't even need to buy the maps. You don't need to do any kind of crazy modifications there. You can choose any map you want. You can swap to any Atlas tree you want. And this is some something really nice because it's it's super rewarding and it's at the same time pretty casual. And you, I've posted some screenshots of it on Twitter. It's pretty insane there. And it also just is very kind of eye-friendly. You, you kill a monster, just explodes into endless... You, you still need to click Z. I friendly, I guess, depends on your item filter. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been stricting it up like nonstop. Um, sometimes for streaming, I took the strictness down a little bit, but it's it's, it's insane. It's uh, it's just a whole different experience. I can wholeheartedly recommend it just to try it out because it feels very, very different. Is it worth to do it solo, or do I do I need to have a group with MF? Well, you can. It, I think it's pretty good solo still if you can take those guys on and have a little bit of magic finding. But I feel like the true potential there is with group magic find, especially since those units are also insanely deadly. It's way deadlier than a lot of other strategies. Um, the moment you encounter quadra ghosted. Causes or some sort of exile, 
they can just take out the whole party. And there's also the case if they there's ghosts that are very good at taking out specific things. So the seed script monster disables flasks in a single kit. And this is especially deadly in some, of the, I think the Aurobot, was, or I'm not sure who it was, but someone was using the coruscating elixir. So if there would be like any kind of chaos damage and the Steve's grip, it was just take out the entire party, the entire defense has been gone in one hit. So um, it, it is, but it's kind of an ex extreme experience. Extreme monsters, a bit of randomness, extreme encounters, and you will see some of the most messed up, messed up monsters and loot explosions you ever see in Path of Exile. So try it out. It's definitely fun. I will. It sounds good. Is there anything you do still want to try? Or thank you, you haven't spoken about the keystones at all. Is there something you want to add? Sure. So I love the big boom. That's a really good keystone. I also messed a little bit with the Legion one. And if you are specifically doing emblematic farming, it's not actually that bad. Unfortunately, there's no real reason to farm a bunch of emblems right now. It gives you a lot of time to just hit the key caches and or bosses that you want. It's just you have to control your damage, not nuke the entire screen. Problem is, even though it works for that, um, there's no reason. It's a solution about a problem. And I really like crop rotation. I had quite a bit of fun with that one. Overall, I haven't done it very much, but I did do a little bit of destructive play, and I went, this is a genuinely horrible play style. I hope they change this, but it is also super rewarding. Is, is crop rotation strictly better than not rotating it? Because I've seen some mixed opinions on that. It's, like, From, it, it's more fun to play with crop rotation because you get additional gambles, but that, do you get better returns consistently with it? Or is it just another layer of playing around? I didn't do it enough to know for sure, but from what I've heard, you do not get enough returns that it is better. It's really kind of about the same or slightly like 10-ish percent worse. It's definitely more fun to see multiple bosses in one patch. Yeah. Right. Hmm. I, I want to. I want to try corporation still. It I don't. Way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big harvest guy. If I want to play Farming Moon, I'll play Stardew Valley. You should try Moonstone Island. I think that's coming out soon. All right. I'll give it oh, a shot. I'd also like to voice a complaint. Uh, Ritual received two keystones, and those are pretty much trash, except for some very specific use cases. I really like Ritual. I would like to feel not so bad and unrewarded when I play Ritual, because it's, it feels like it's one of the least rewarding mechanics out there, at least like number-wise. Sure, there's some use cases there's some if you're very very lucky you can farm like some synthesis bases or sell the ritual vessels there's a few things you can do there but overall it feels like it's one of the mechanics that slows you down the most and at the same time it is just super unrewarding most of the time so i feel like i was looking for something to increase the risk increase the reward or maybe reduce the number of rituals per map so that you have one mega ritual and both keystones are just so absurdly poor um at least in my eyes. I'm very upset about Wait, that. What do they do? One of them is you can't re-roll, but you get more favor, right? 
Yeah, but with Richu, you want to maximize the rerolls most of the time. You're not playing Richu for the consistent two chaos yeah, rewards yeah. you get once a map. And the yeah, other you want one the was. Big tickets. Yeah, and the other one was reducing the ritual cost from minus 90 to plus 90% of every individual cost. So it allows you to pick up a bunch of things basically for free sometimes, but it also has the downs that might absolutely make it impossible for you to uh, pick up a big reward or defer a big reward. So both mm -hmm. of them have pretty much the same downside, unless you're maybe you know, maybe you have a mirror in the ritual deferred and you want to guarantee that you're always able to keep deferring it there's just no reason to optimize for the little rewards because then you just want to run other more consistent mechanics and uh, yeah that's de definitely something i would like to see with ritual yeah i feel like the one that you just mentioned the, the, first of all the strat around like being able to make like making sure that you can defer or buy out the big reward that you're working towards is a big part but like also someone in my community told me that they just like farming with that keystone because it makes it uh, not keystone with that notable is it notable or a keystone no i'm confused keystone. basically what i'm trying to say is they like farming with it because they don't have to think about it they could just buy out the entire window almost every time they say you fair, just go in fair. farm all the things and just click everything and, and you're fine you don't have to do much thinking it also saves you some spoils some points on the passive tree because the majority of the passive point oh, like half of the points in the ritual tree is basically improving your re-rolling and deferring so definitely have some advantages there but I wish the ritual would be something more uh, neat at this point. I'm definitely looking, definitely could use a glow up, uh, ideally a larger one than this. I've always had a problem with ritual, but that's because we had ritual league and then we had ritual 2.0, which was called ultimatum, which was just ritual except better. And then they decided after running both of them, to put the worst one in the game <laughs> and it blows my mind because <laughs> ultimatum was just ritual 2.0 like the whole league everyone was just being like ritual 2 is great <laughs> it was like the whole ultimatum league i remember a lot of people saying ritual 2 is bad because there was one specific type you had to stand in circles and getting pewee players to stand in circles is like herding cats <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I think that like, one was a bit rough. But overall, I liked Ultimatum way better than Ritual. And every single time I see Ultimatum, I'm like, one different choice that could have been Ultimatums instead of Rituals in my maps everywhere. And I, I would have loved it. I really didn't like Ultimatum that much because I saw through the mechanic oh, very quickly. That I loved it, was, it. Okay, none of the things that you click matter because I built my character in such a way that it negates almost all of them. And so I just always go, next reward next reward, next reward. I really wish that the rewards had been paired to certain downsides and yeah. that the game somehow knew enough about your build to pair the nastiest ones with the best rewards, which is probably a task where if the GGG programmers here is very like, stop, please don't give people ideas. But it might also go a little bit against their philosophy because I think in the past, and I might be wrong on that. I don't know exactly where or how to quote it, but I think Chris said something as much. There's no part of the game where the game actually checks your stats when it generates like enemy mods or area mods or something like that. Because for the longest time, I always thought that like 
um, Val side areas during leveling, if they have a resist, they usually have the resist of your main damage. That that's how it feels to me. But maybe <laughs> it's just it's just confirmation bias. Apparently, it's that you remember when they have the main yeah exactly one. yeah. So it could be that no area checks. I also think it's fine to have exceptions because you lose exp on death as well, except in Trial of the Ancestors. It's okay for a league mechanic to be an exception for the purpose of gameplay. And if the whole point of ultimatum is risk versus reward, you have to have actual risk there. You can't just build your way out of risk and say, oh, my character's, you know, five mirrors, so now I have no consequences. Hmm. I have some, some weird feelings about ultimatum. Um, I think it's overly romanticized. I think it was, generally speaking, a good league. It was The game was in, in a very, very decent shape back then, and ultimatum was, file, was fun while it lasted. But thinking back, it was incredibly flawed. The basic gameplay of it was, quite frankly, quite terrible. You just had a bunch of overtuned monsters spawn over there, and if there was built up critical mass and you couldn't kill them at the same time, you would just be gunned down by the auras. Um, it would often take, in my opinion, way too long. At the same time, the rewards were... It was a very cool gambling machine, no doubts about that. It was it felt like a really, really cool gambling machine, but as Stanky said, most of the mods didn't actually matter too much. Um, and I, I didn't actually enjoy the gameplay too much. I feel like Ritual is definitely a superior league, and I also think that the shopping mm. experience is a cooler thing than um, the cooler thing than what Ultimatum offered. Now, don't get me wrong, Ultimatum is probably the way more rewarding league, and like reward-wise or gameplay pacing-wise, it probably fits more into PoE. Ultimately, I, ultimately, I definitely like to see both leagues uh, in-game. So I would definitely want to see both leagues at this point reworked or maybe even merge. I'm not sure, but um, I feel like both of them have their own troubles. I feel like Ritual is becoming a little bit stale with its do this Ritual multiple times, and basically it's a bit too easy most of the time, and it also has too many side steps, and you need to clear the area, and then you're just standing still most of the time. It is very low risk kind of highly fluctuating weird reward and ultimatum is kind of i'm not even sure it's been so long ago i have no idea and the rares have been reworked so i don't know where to put it i would like to see it in game but i would maybe even merge them two into something more cohesive i don't know that no i definitely agree i have mixed feelings about ultimatum as well but i'll definitely agree on the point that it's probably looked back on a little bit too fondly considering how frustrated people were at the time with it right like it definitely is romanticized in the way that you know the absence makes your heart grow fonder i think if it was in the game right now people would be looking at it differently but it did some things really well aside from the fact that it obviously like you said uh, emphasized the the problems with the old rare monster mod system uh, I'm not sure it would be that much better with Arch Nemesis mods, though. But like flavor-wise, it was so cool. The the Chaos Master was yeah. amazing. Mm -hmm. Like he always teasing you. The flavor was <laughs> cool with the you know risk reward. Do you want this or do you want to stop? I the really just hated the freeze mechanic. Yeah, the freeze mechanic. We talked mm -hmm. about this like countless times on the podcast. How much we want that back. But we may be a little bit biased here as content creators, right? Because it's just so nice when you get those spots in Path of Exile where you can look at the chat and, and interact and respond to things and then do a little bit of banter. To be fair, with Blood Notch and Progenesis, most builds have a time freeze. 
<laughs> they did kind of just add that to the game baseline. Mm. Not quite the same, but I'll take it. Uh, no, it was something else that I wanted to say, but now I forgot it. <laughs> About ritual, uh, ultimatum. The freeze? There was something else that... No, I lost it. I, it's gone. One thing in Ritual League that I really liked was the vial concept. That you'd save up the blood-filled vials and have this super awesome ritual map. The problem is, outside of Ritual League, it just didn't scale very well. And it felt like there was no incentive to min-max ritual to that point. Where with Expedition, you have logbooks. With Blight, you have Blighted maps. In Ritual League, the Bloodfield Vials felt similar to that. And I don't think the, the loot from them has kept up well with the current state of the game. I almost wish you could put them into your map to do something even crazier than what we have now. Hmm. I got it again. I was going to complain about the accessibility of the Trial Master. But yeah, that's been talked about like too much. But yeah, that, that was the biggest downfall of, of Ultimatum for me. I didn't mind that it was like pure RNG. But the fact that when you got the Trial Master, you had to fight it then and there on the character that you spawned it on, that was awful. Because like you would obviously optimize your maps around getting returns out of your maps, but then you'd roll really rippy maps, and then you'd get the Trial Master, and then you'd have to fight it on a really rippy map with the same character that you'd use for the speedy running through mm -hmm. the map. And you, you can see how that doesn't work. I mean, I played an Archmage Bladefall Blade Blast character. <laughs> uh there was no such thing as a really rippy map. I mean, no regen would hard brick me. It was either hard brick or no issue at all, because that was when Archmage and Mind Over Matter was broken with the old Cloak of Defiance, and I was a necromancer, so I basically had infinite mana because I self-generated corpses, then consumed them to give myself mana. Uh, that build was absolutely silly. Hmm. Is there any, uh, any builds that you're looking forward to still try in this patch? Anything that you can talk about without uh, making it too expensive? Yes, a perfectly balanced cast on crit build. Okay. I, when you say cast on crit, I always think that you're just going to play Forbidden Right again. It is not going to be Forbidden Right. That would be very, very bad. What, what does perfectly balanced mean? Yeah. <laughs> it means I'm going to be messing with rational doctrine and getting a bunch of intelligence and strength on a oh. Templar. With spell blade and energy blade. All right. I guess tattoos make that a little easier. Yes, tattoos definitely make that a little easier. <laughs> how how many tattoos do you use on your builds right now? Is it like a big part of your build? I mean, I just replaced yes. most of my main attribute because I just don't need it for anything. But I, I feel like other builds might need their main attributes because items or like i don't know scaling there's a as fix for that it's called supreme ostentation yeah as many as i can fit is the answer yeah on my cold dot i didn't use tattoos that much because they're not super super impactful i use them for a lot of little stuff like i have i think it's the ikiaho summon cybervatter awana one that gives you suppression i have plus one int gems that's really good i've got you know some life little bit of this, little bit of that. But then on, say, a Poison Spark Pathfinder, 
you can get flask duration, which is incredible. Poison Spark Pathfinder gains so much from tattoos. Righteous Fire Juggernaut, you can go with something like Calms. Explode. Yep. You get Explode, so you don't need the flask. You can go Progenesis instead. That makes you tankier. And you don't need to go Divine Flesh. You can go Supreme Ostentation. We have a Calms Heart. Get a bunch of Max Res. Get a bunch of Explodey. Just tattoo absolutely everything. Crazy. Yeah. I also use mostly like the, the small things, the to get a little bit of chalk avoidance to to cap that out, like maybe get a little bit of chaos resist before my last round of gear upgrades. Just just fill up those things that feel bad. I haven't used any of the, the big tattoos yet with the the ones that require seven adjacent. Those are nice those are great, but they're expensive expensive like to buy the tattoo itself or expensive yeah. to allocate and, the seven points and impassive points but depends on a few places doing. there's a few places for a few builds where you're like oh well i've already got like five of these seven as just part of the build and then, yeah, then they're the really good one, definitely the plus one proj ones mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and anywhere you can overlap it with warrior's tail because then any investment is twice as efficient the two that come to mind immediately for me, Witch Socket, absolutely perfect for Warrior's Tail. You can support things like the Curse Effect, I think cooldown reduction and all max res very easily. And then the Shadow Socket. At League Start, you couldn't do the one right below it as well, but now you can. Because before that, you would have had to take, I forget if it was Acrobatics or Perfect Agony, and you can now override that with a different keystone with your tattoo yeah. and get a second perfect circle with, I believe it's two plus two proj tattoos. Yep. That's wow. good use. That's crazy. I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> Are you utilizing a lot of tattoos in Eversync? No, not for my build. Um, if I'm building a new build, which is still quite likely, I'm considering playing around the Subwinter Orb. Uh, since I have the Replica Dragon Fang for it, uh, I might invest quite a bit into the boost there. But yeah, on the Magic Finder, it's limited. That's already incredibly uh, a huge issue there. So um, sadly, not too many. Just a few Magic Finder tools here and there, and uh, that's not much. Oh, that's fair enough. I've, I've sadly sold the keystone ones. I'd really like to gamble a keystone, but then again, how likely is it that you get... How many keystones are there in the game? If you, like, spam it on a keystone... 40-something? I mean, you either get it or you don't. 40-something. It's, so it's, it's, it's a lot easier to just look for a keystone that doesn't brick your build so that you can allocate it than it is to look for a specific keystone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know someone in my Discord spent around 140 Divines because he got very unlucky and he wanted a specific. I think it's not that bad, though, if you need just a non-brick. Non-brick's very easy, like one in two or three. If you need a decent one, it's probably like one in ten-ish Divines because there's a lot of keystones that you can get on a build and it doesn't really make your build a lot better, but it doesn't hurt either. Like you're that holding a ruin you. But why would yeah. you get it then? Why wouldn't you just save the point? Is it better well, to like, allocate an, a tattoo that needs seven adjacent things? 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Just, just for that, right? Yeah. Or even just to get an effect that's mildly helpful in a place where you wouldn't otherwise access it. Like you have easy access to acrobatics on a bow build and you could turn that into plenty of other things that are okay, but not amazing. Yeah, I was thinking just Eldritch Battery somewhere on the left bottom side of the tree would be great, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also, then again, would it be great enough to warrant that degree of investment when you're like really unlucky? Probably not. Mm, depending on your build, yes. But it depends on how min-maxed you are. Yeah. But Something... A lot of Go ahead. No, I had a completely random thought because yeah. I thought we were like kind of like running in circles on the build topic and yeah. the build meta. But I, I, please give me your thought first. I'll keep mine. A lot of builds, for example, hold a shield and you can get pretty good defensive keystones like free block turned into spell block or free glancing blows. Even if you're not min maxing into it, it makes your build better in a noticeable way with a relatively low investment, assuming that you're not hyper-specialized. Like maybe you get iron reflexes and, oh, you can grab some evasion, get some more armor. You didn't have enough evasion, but you really evaded a ton anyway. Oh, you get, what's it called? It's not resolute technique. It's the one near there that prevents you from being stunned and prevents you from evading. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I forget its name. Yeah. On, on a lot of builds, that's not bad to have. So if you're in a place... You build casually has 2,000 evasion just because it yeah. did, because of the gear you've got on, but it's not enough to matter. Exactly. And so in that regard, it's pretty easy to integrate. Uh, there's plenty of builds where if you just have Ghost Dance, it feels pretty good. You'll have enough energy shield and evasion that you get a nice little bump of recovery, but it doesn't really matter. You don't want to go path to it, but if it's right there, eh, might as well. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like when I like if I were to re-roll it, I always would do it with the expectation of getting like one or two specific keystones. But you're right, like there is definitely situations where you just want one that is acceptable and then it will still be better. Uh I wanted to bring up something that I just I mean, I feel bad for it only noticing it now, but like there's the what's I, I forgot the name of the notable, but on the Atlas Passive Tree, the one that makes your sextants roll four uses instead of three. And I only now noticed how, like, what a game changer this is because it's just completely, it feels so punishing to roll sextants without that. Like, if you Have roll you sextants. Have been rolling without, sextants without it? Yeah, all the time. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not ideal. <laughs> No, I, I realize, especially if you aim to sell them. I mean, for yourself, it's it's still really bad because you get like 25% less value, right? But mm -hmm. So I don't like that notable at all. Yeah, that that's basically yeah, what I was aiming for. Yeah, because it's mandatory if you roll sextants. But you don't need to have it in order to use the sextants. You only exactly. put it on for when you roll them. <laughs> and then if you yeah. don't want to roll them, if you just want to use them, you just buy them or you use the one that you rolled already. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's. It, I don't think it's good design. Um, I feel similar about the boss notables, but it's a whole other different topic. Um, yeah, I I, 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 I dislike the fact that you basically, if you're rolling them, you want that, and it's, it's just a little bit semi-mandatory for a lot of investment builds. Uh, feels like something that could be just be gone and integrated in the standard game. 
Yes. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's an option, so it should probably be rolled into the main game. Mm -hmm. Either removed or, or integrated. Or taken away. If all sextants yeah. are three use, or yeah, all sextants are four use, I don't really care. Yeah. The price of those will adjust to them being three or four. Yeah. Like it yeah. that doesn't it doesn't actually matter. But mm -hmm. when you can have four, it's stupid because now you've just got to sit on your sextants until you've got enough of them to warrant respecking. Even if you're in solo self-found, you shouldn't be using sextants until yeah. you've got enough sextants piled up that you can be like, okay, I'm going to sit here for half an hour and roll all my sextants with the passive and then take them off and then pick the ones I want to use. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. And at minimum, it should be changed to a chance to not consume uses. No, because, uh, on, only uh, if it only if it works with all of them at once. Because yes, anything yes, else, all yeah, okay, yeah, okay. So like, it would just be a chance for your sextant to not consume uses for that attempt. Probably lower. Probably wouldn't want to even it out at thirty three percent. But let's just say ten percent chance for your sextants to not consume, and then whatever four I, you have, it would I either probably all or none. Yeah, I'd still hate it because it goes out of the out of sync with my alvas. When I have the alva passive, mm -hmm. I get four alvas per map that means every three maps i have to put new things on right <laughs> also like that's how i organize all my tabs to run based on sextants and yeah i just but you i don't think it would be as important to take it if it was just a 10 percent chance you'd only take it if you're using very expensive sextants so let's just say you're doing runic monster dupe which is expensive plus enraged strongbox which is expensive plus yellow juice plus sacred grove uh is then a you chance doesn't change anything. Prices adjust accordingly. All all that does is uh, make it awkward and make you have to pay extra attention to whether you've used it or not when you shouldn't have to. Yeah, but it resolves the problem of you having to allocate for rolling and then yeah, removing for but using. It just puts a new problem in for no benefit. It's a slightly smaller problem. Much yeah, smaller. You can because... just not have it. Well, that's, that's the thing, though. For most strats, you just wouldn't have it. Because if it's a 10% chance, unless it's a really expensive sextant, and yes, the price of the expensive sextants would adjust to that, but the cheaper ones, you just not use it because you can use those Atlas points for something else. Why are you right. going to save, you know, 0.2 chaos? So so in, in this instance, what you've given is no downside to, uh, like, baby strats and no upside to juice strats and extra points that do functionally nothing except be slightly annoying. There's just no, there's no benefit. There's no upside. The upside is the elevated sextants. It would be significantly impactful there. Right, but the price of those would just adjust accordingly. So there's no, there's still no upside. I don't know if it would actually. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it would. Uh, just—it just sounds very annoying for no real benefit. Hmm. I don't know. I'd have to try it, but like, I'd, I'd be completely fine with like both not being a thing, and just being like every sextant only three uses all the time, no exceptions. Make it. Yeah. I, I like four. Four really suits. But if they make it three, they make it three. I yeah. I just want it to be one thing. I'd rather it just be defaulted to four and take the nodes away. That would be, that'd be my pick. But... Hmm. Yeah. And then 
I was curious, never think, because you said it's a completely different issue with the boss notables, but you're basically also saying like, if you farm the bosses, you want to farm the uber versions and not the regular versions, and then there's no no option to actually picking the things. Or did you have a different angle, it's, a different, different point of view yeah, on that? Yeah, it's more or less that PoE is optimized around the best use case most of the time. So assume, let's say you're farming Maven invitations. If you're farming Maven invitations and you're not farming Uber Maven, you're losing out on a significant chunk of profit. And it, it probably isn't even worth farming Maven at this point because the invitation prices are balanced around the best use case, which is always dropping an uh, elevated section and having a chance of fighting the uh, Uber Awakening Gems and Progenesis, well, and Equiforge, I suppose. Um, so this kind of makes the whole design a bit weird. And I like the idea that you can optimize for specific content, that you can optimize for specific chances of that. Um, but I would at least for the Uber invitations, uh, I feel like the it's good if the boss nodes give you more chance to access the bosses. So I like those. I like the ones that increase the chances of finding more shaper maps, increase the changes, uh, the chances of finding more, or if improving the maps themselves, like the ones with the conquerors are perfectly fine. But I don't like it when basically if you want to run a certain boss fight, um, it is the same thing. So I would rather the bosses, let's say the normal normal Maven, would sometimes drop an enriched Maven invitation, something like that. And that yeah. one you can either sell or run it. But then this one is also, if you want, even significantly harder. You could even have one portal. I don't care. Um, and at this point, this thing also has much better chances of dropping the Uber loot or the Uber drops. And then you as a player have a choice. Do you want to sell it to the ones, to the Uber runners who can also run those if they want to? Or do you want to run it yourself? And I, I think something like that, you can also have like an upgrade token. So you add the upgrade token to the normal one. There's like a whole bunch of different options. But I really think splitting the normal bosses from the Uber bosses uh, tree-wise would have benefit for everyone with the exception of uber boss races i suppose ben wouldn't be able to complete those in uh 18 hours next time so this is the only downside i see there which in this case is acceptable from my perspective i think i'm yeah. pretty well documented when they announced those changes and we were going through them both on stream and on this podcast that they were horrible ideas and that you shouldn't have the same entry piece for uber versions as you do for regular yeah. versions because that i don't lose out because i don't run bosses at all but if i did run bosses it would be ubers i don't lose out in fact this thing where the entry cost is the same for both uh the only person that ever benefits is the one percent bosses and everybody else suffers as a result every People. regular player should not be running bosses because of this yes yeah. and that's silly i would say people who don't run bosses also benefit because the price of a keys is higher true but what i would do is take this one step further not only separate keys for uber bosses but also separate loot because if you can get a dying sun from uber shaper why do you need it from shaper at that point yes. only the uber specific items and the boss key upgrades become valuable but if you have completely separate loot tables, which given that they've offered boss rewards, new unique items, et cetera, several times, that could easily populate those tables. 
you would fight Uber Shaper for Uber Shaper loot. You would fight regular Shaper for regular Shaper loot. That way, you get more consistent rewards. Right now, it feels very much like a lottery. You either get something super amazing worth stacks of divines, or it's trash you leave on the floor. It Fair. also leaves progression to bossing players. Like you want to start becoming a bosser, you're not ready for Ubers yet. You don't even know the fights. But now going to run regular Shaper, you can do. Going to run regular Elder, you can do. Going to run the Eater and Exarch things, you can do them without losing money now. Like you'll make money because people are still going to want those items. The Ubers mm -hmm. don't drop them. And you're not good enough for Ubers yet, so you drop Uber keys or Uber splinters or Uber fragments or whatever thing they go with, and you just sell those to the Uber people. Oh no, I foresee a Uber Fiat fight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. isn't that just regular feared, but Cirrus is also there? Fantastic. Do it. No, but they also have... No, no. Oh, that would be interesting. <laughs> I guess there's like one redeeming quality still to it, and that is for the people who are already running the normal bosses. <laughs> there's not a big threshold to try the Uber versions because they could just yeah. spec into the Keystone and be like, well, I'm not losing more than I would be losing <laughs> by running the normal version <laughs> if I fail the Uber version. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'd really love to see them separated. And we, we see like a boss in the game where that is done exactly that way and it's been working well for a decade. And that would be Aziri and Uber Aziri, right? They have separate loot tables. One drops the access yeah. token to the other. It's not the exclusive, not the only way to get it, but it's uh, the main way, I'd say. It's like <laughs> farming regular Aziri to get access to Uber Aziri, and that, that works well. It also kind of like it's cool for the gameplay loop for someone who does both, because you have like your Uber Aziri every couple runs where you have to really focus and pay attention that you do everything right. And then the regular Aziri runs are just like you know, switch off your brain and just run it. Not switch off your brain completely, but you know what I mean. I, I did it uh, in one of the BPLs, like two, three, four BPLs ago, I played a uh, Purifying Flame Trapper, or no, Miner, Purifying Flame Miner, and I did, like, more Xeris than I ever did in my life before, and that, that was really fun, and I enjoyed mm -hmm. that, that, especially that back and forth between the hard version and the easy version. But you don't have that in the regular game with the other bosses because there's no reason to ever run the non-Uber version if you can run the Uber version. Yep. Oh, I thought of Uber feared. Cirrus, Maven, Eater, Exarch, Trial Master. Suddenly <laughs> I want to find that fight. <laughs> and I want to fight Trial Master again. That's like... It's I not guess that I can. Expensive. It's in the game, right? There's yeah. the map. Yeah. No, but I want to fight the trial master from back then. Is it exactly the same? I, I should maybe try. Yes. Maybe I try. Pretty much. I've only done that vibe. fight like two or three times in the league, and I've always I failed it. Now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe then I can finally do it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we've been starting a little bit late, and uh, uh, it's super late here where Neversink and I are. So I think we're gonna go for a closing round. Uh, we did cover a lot of ground, so there's nothing to feel bad about. Um, I have been thinking, Chris has been dropping some hints when we were at the meetup and all that, said that, you know, somewhat we're due for an endgame expansion sort of league. So I have very strong feelings that either the Christmas league or the league after that is going to give us some new endgame content. And, uh, you know, with how GGG likes to do things, 
maybe they're bringing back one of the uh, past league mechanics that didn't make it into core. <laughs> and if they do, which one would you like to bring? Would you like to see brought back from all the league mechanics that didn't go core in the past, say, two years or so? Robots. Robots, Sentinels, is it for you? Yeah, like I just mean, the, the Sentinels or specifically the Recombinators probably, right? I mean, Recombinators are cool. They're actually, Recombinators are, this is going to upset someone, Recombinators are hands down the best crafting mechanic that's ever been put into the game. It was the most useful across the board at all levels of play. And it is almost a crime that it didn't get added. I agree that recombinators are very fun and they do a lot of good things, but I think they're probably also having some bad effects. That said, though, I think the positive effects outweigh the negative ones because they're just incredibly fun to use and they make you look at items on the ground. But they do raise the ceiling of what good gear is quite a bit, so maybe there needs to be some hard cap. Maybe maybe no suppression on non-evasion basis. <laughs> that was so silly. Maybe that you was... should be able to have suppression on all bases. Yeah, so maybe it's... maybe suppression should just be deleted from the game so we can start playing the game and enjoying different defensive mechanics again. Because I yeah. feel like with my character, I have zero suppression. I'm so tanky. I get indomitable resolve. I get 70 plus physical taking as fire. I got a whole bunch of cold and lightning taking as fire. I got uh, endurance charges, armor, molten shell, everything, and I still get one shot by random spells, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure if I didn't have any of the defenses that I just listed, but I had 100% chance to suppress spells, a lot of those deaths I wouldn't die. Either let me put suppress on everything or get rid of it would be my... Well, at well, least in the current there. state of the game where suppress feels somewhat mandatory, right? It could also be just less mandatory and more of an optional thing. Maybe not be as impactful as 50% reduction. Or, I mean, we've been talking about the suppression thing for over a year now, right? But um, one idea would also be to allow people to convert the chance to suppress to the damage reduction on suppression at half the value. But cap your chance to suppress so you pick the keystone and whatever chance to suppress you have is now divided by two and is your damage reduction and you always suppress right so you have more investment but you you sacrifice the damage reduction for consistency mm, i don't think suppress is a real underlying problem i think suppress oh. is the symptom that manifests from it and the real underlying problem is there's a disparity in defensive access, especially in regards to damage reduction. Because you mentioned a whole bunch of damage reductions that you have, and you're still killed to spells. But there are ways to build your character where that isn't the case. Like, oh, what's it called? The Amulet from Sanctum and Stacking Chaos Resistance. Gives you elemental damage reduction based on your chaos right. resistance. That thing. Yeah. And that's one way. Uh, another way is to go transcendence and stack a lot of armor. Any elemental hit spell will just do nothing to you at that point. But those are all very hard to access. They're very high investment. Right now, the only easy to access elemental spell mitigation is suppress. So what I would like to see is 
more access to other forms of elemental spell mitigation. I think it's fine for Fizz spells to be scary because Fizz taken as can be used to trivialize them when combined with the other higher access defenses. Chaos spells are incredibly rare and can just be scary. I think that's totally okay. Worst case, you can stack max chaos res, which is effective against most chaos spells. Right. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's just that. Maybe we just need a better ecosystem of defenses. I, I just feel like... Yeah, I mean, you nail it. I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, but just to repeat what you said, to be the dead horses, you know, I just feel for the same money that I'd have to get into 100% suppression on some character, I cannot get all the max res that I need to get my elemental mitigation up. Like, raising max res is such a big... But I guess max res also helps against degen, which suppression doesn't. So, yeah, there's just many aspects to consider. Back to the closing round, though. If uh, you had to pick a mechanic to come back next week, what would it be, Never Sync? There's honestly only just two choices, Ultimatum and Sentinel. I mean, there's probably no one asking for Lake of Calandra to come back. or, or oh, maybe well, I said, I said two years kind of like off the top of my head. You can also pick older ones. No. Um, I like Sentinel. Um, Recombinators were a little bit too powerful and a little bit too predictable. But otherwise, I would like for them to make a comeback, maybe with not being so easy to, mani to manipulate. Um, but gameplay-wise, I think I would go with uh, Ultimatum, but under the premise of it being potentially merged or reworked with Ritual or something like that. Yeah, I do like... Um, I think I would rather see Ultimatum there. I felt like I didn't really like Sentinel's mechanic. Uh, I definitely like the uh, Recombinators, but from those two, probably probably Ultimatum, yeah. yeah I also, I don't understand why Ultimatum didn't make a comeback. I mean, they reintroduced so many elements from Ultimatum. Uh, I just give us the ultimatum mechanic back in the map. I mean, <laughs> most people are going to exclude it from spawning anyway, right? Because most mechanics are worthless if you don't invest into them. So might I as well exclude it. I love that. I want it back. Yeah. If just for the freeze, not for the rewards. Oh, the rewards are great. Would they still hold up nowadays, though? Uh, not They'd for have to add a whole... character, but yeah, for like Alkengar. And Grimmingo levels? <laughs> Grimmingo. <laughs> That's actually a term. Yep. All right, uh, Tanky, what, what is your mechanic that you want to come back? So I would also say Ultimatum because I think they missed the mark with the lack of reward value correlating to mod difficulty. So it would have to read your build in some way. But I would really like to see something that has direct correlation between risk and reward. Usually in Path of Exile, there's vague correlation. The more mods on your map, an eight mod map is more rewarding than a scoured map with zero mods. In many cases, it is more difficult, but not always. It's an indirect correlation. Whereas this would be, oh, I can choose between the Enlightened Four, but on my Righteous Fire character, I have minus 5% max res to fire, or I can choose let's just say five chaos orbs, but I have minus 15% to fire res, which I'm overcapped for, so it's a trivial downside. Direct correlation risk and reward would be a really, really cool thing to see in Path of Exile, 
and let you really push your character building. And so I'd love to see it come back and kind of test that. Yeah, I, I'm kind of on board with the, uh, you know, direct risk reward thing, but I don't really like the idea of the game, like analyzing my build and like putting up the risk specific for my build, like which it would have to do in order for that to correlate, right? Then again, we have that risk reward sort of thing with the altar mods, where right now I'm playing a build that converts a lot of damage to fire and a lot of incoming damage to fire, and so I'm, I'm stacking fire res, and then obviously Exarch is very easy for me, immune to burning ground, and all the monsters, or a lot of the altar mods offer physical as extra fire for the monsters, which doesn't hurt me as much as other things. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest. Yeah? When it comes to alters, I generally read the reward side and not the risk side. <laughs> yeah, that's what Tuna told me when I first <laughs> talked about it when I was still playing HCSSF. And I didn't believe it, but now like I, I got to the point. It's just my character sucks, so I need to read the downsides. <laughs> yeah. that I think for Ultimatum to really capture that spirit of risk and reward, you need to know that, okay, I have to read this because it can brick me and not just be able to build your way out of a problem. Right. So, for me, it'd probably be synthesis. I really, I, I like the alternative mapping uh, sort of thing. I just feel like a lot of aspects of synthesis wouldn't be up to par anymore. Like, they couldn't bring back the item synthesizer, obviously. So, maybe they could pair that with the recombinators. They kind of have a synthesis-based system where recombinating items would be the new synthesizer, so to say, right? That recombination is not an itemized thing, but it, that creates problems again if it's not itemized because then it's hard to trade, you know, then you have the same TFT problem as with the Ashland benches. But at the same time, you know, it incentivizes people to use it on their own items if trading isn't super straightforward, as we've seen with other things. So, yeah. Yeah. People used a lot of the harvest bench crafts on their own items when it wasn't tradable. <laughs> uh, not always. You're right. You're right. Uh, I, I think for that, if you want to incentivize someone to use the craft on their own item, it has to be both untradable and low enough value that there's no, oh God, what am I going to lose here by clicking that button? Well, I guess uh, an item level limiter, right? Where you get like really low item level versions of the thing. So it would be unreasonable to trade that because people just wouldn't be interested in a craft that you can only use on a sub 75 item. Oh, you can do a lot with sub 75 items. Oh, yeah. 60 something is the cutoff for a lot of tier ones, like tier one life. And you only go down to, I think it's tier three ish resistances. Yeah, I've true. I remember doing that in Harvest, where people were like, oh, don't just run Quarry. No, in Quarry, you could make items that were just absurd. Because it was like mm -hmm. T2, 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 T2. Sometimes some T3s mixed in there, but if you're losing 8% resistances, it's not actually that much. Yeah, that's fair. So... I'm I'm curious. Like I'm I'm sure we're gonna get something. We're gonna get some amazing system and we're gonna get aspects of past league that come back. But it's really up to GGG to present us with how like it actually ends up in the game. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see that though. I'm curious to see what we get. And you know, with GGG officially saying that they're back to the four leagues per year, we have a lot less wait time for the next hype cycle, seeing that we're already like above one month, right? So it's only like 
six weeks until the next hype cycle starts hey. until we get teasers again let's go it's uh, it feels good to be away from the five month leagues <laughs> <laughs> crucible was a little bit too long i mean with how many games came out right now <laughs> let's be honest this is the it, first it, time i could use a five month cycle i was gonna <laughs> say <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I haven't wanted it the last few times. This time, I can use a five-month cycle. Yeah, <laughs> there's too much going on, man. Yeah. It's a good time to be a gaming nerd. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, in that case, at least we could positively conclude that if the next leak gets delayed, none of us is going to feel bad about it because we know exactly what we're going to do with that extra time. Yep. <laughs> All right. So. Um, to round things off, I want to thank you guys for coming onto this podcast. Uh, it's been uh, a little bit of planning that we put into this, and uh, it was very time critical because we're all from different parts of the earth. But it happened, and we came together, and it was great. And uh, thanks for coming and sitting on the table with us and uh, discussing all these topics. Guys, if you haven't checked them out yet, Make sure to uh, check out Tanky's channel with amazing ARPG videos. Make sure to follow NeverSync on uh, Twitter for some very based takes around uh, new leak mechanics. And definitely customize your item filters with filterblade.xyz if you're not following Balor's ultra strict don't complain filter like I recently started because I got bored a headhunter. You should not use that. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually really good for the purpose that I used it for. But yeah. Um, there will be more Faded Connections, but if you haven't listened to this episode in full, then you can always rewind, listen to it in full. It's available on all podcast platforms as usual, and there will be more Faded Connections, as always, announced on my Twitter. Uh, so follow that. Uh, the next episode is still up in the air, but we're aiming to do one next weekend again with interesting guests, as always. Um, uh... There was one other thing on my head in my head that I wanted to say. So anyone want to have the last word before I close things off? Good. Good. All right. Then uh, I guess thanks GGG for a, an amazing leak that provides us with so much stuff to talk about even like after a month in. And um, stay tuned for the next episode. If you've been supporting, that's the thing I wanted to say. If you've been supporting on Patreon, YouTube, or, uh, or the Twitch memberships, Thank you very much. Your name will be shown in the end. And uh, we'll see you for the next podcast in uh, probably about a week's time. So uh, thanks, everyone. And see you soon. Bye-bye. Wait, if I find the outro thing. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. <laughs>